Welcome, everybody, to an episode of the Tromedy Hour. Uh, my name is Jonas Barnes. Uh, I am the host today. Um, if you guys have listened before, you know that sometimes it is me. Sometimes it is my co-producer and co-host, Lauren Petrie. Sometimes it's both of us. Uh, today, it's just going to be me. And uh, we have a great guest for you today. Um, just per usual, something to throw out there to let you guys know. Uh, we're going to be talking about some heavy subjects today. That's That's what we do here. Um, the whole point of this show, if you haven't listened before, is to talk about the things that make us who we are. And a lot of times those things happen to be dark. And that's what we do here. Um, we're going to be talking about traumas, illnesses, um, vices, addictions, etc. Today's episode specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, alcohol abuse. We're going to be talking about parental abuse. Uh, so obviously trigger warnings are in effect for both of those things. And also, I think if you know that those things can lead to other things too. So just trigger warnings in general, understand that we are going to have a frank conversation about these subjects. Um, in no way, shape or form is this meant to do any harm. This is actually meant to do the opposite. What we want you to do is be able to hear regular people like yourself talk about the issues that we've gone through. And uh, hopefully, you know, if even one of you listens to this and uh, realizes that you're not alone in your struggles, then this was a success. So that's what we like to do here. Um, also, just a quick disclaimer, uh, per usual, neither myself nor the guest today is a licensed counselor or psychologist or psychiatrist or a doctor in any way. Um, you'll know if I have one of those on the show, but that's not us today. Uh, we are comedians. <laughs> so I guess in a way, maybe we are a little bit of a little bit of a counselor to some people. And sometimes we're just somebody to get smacked in the face of the Oscars. So you never know how it's going to go. <laughs> so uh, with that being said, uh, I want to introduce our guest today. Um, very, very awesome comedian. Uh, I've known him online for quite a while. We've never actually met in person, uh, which is that's a weird thing in 2022. Right. Um, you know, but I think I've, I've known you online for quite a while. Um, you know, yeah. and we've gone we've gone back and forth on the Internet a few times. Uh, but yeah, very, that's what's that's what makes this kind of fun. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Very happy to have you on the show. Cody Woods, uh, tell everybody about yourself. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for having me on. And um, uh, I'm a comic. I am. Uh, I've been doing comedy 15 years. I think we met through online through Ty Rivera. Um, and oh, yeah, yeah, I love Ty. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 incredible. Um, I'm Los Angeles based. I've uh, been pretty much West Coast based the past 15 years, but I'm a road guy and uh, it feels gross if I said credits, but I did some things and that's uh, that's it. I, I just do comedy full time, uh, which is very hard to do these days. I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep doing that, but it's tough, um, man, especially now. Yeah, like even a couple of years ago, it was just like that was one of the weird things that happened with the pandemic, because I think people that were doing comedy full time like you know you realize really quick like oh fuck like this is is this gonna last like i don't know and it happened quick like really quick right it was one yeah. of the first things to get affected i think by pandemic life was live entertainment you know it sweeped it right out from under our feet right and it, it was coming after 2019 which was like my best year ever and i thought like and that's just classic show business where it's like hey this is the finish line it's totally not the finish line <laughs> <laughs> yeah you never know where it's the a red light is yeah you never know um so it's interesting that we're going to be talking about uh alcohol abuse and parental abuse i think actually both of those things um can definitely feed 
into somebody becoming a comedian and alcohol abuse, especially man talk about something that the comedy industry fosters. Um, Mm -hmm. that is, that is something I've struggled with also for quite a while because I'm, I'm five years sober almost. So it's going to be five, five years this year, which is crazy. Um, but man, comedy was such a hard thing, especially Mm -hmm. in the beginning to like, to actually be sober in comedy, like, you know, working in bars and shit all the time. Yeah. It was just like, it's right fucking there. <laughs> it's right, right there. I can just walk right over to that counter and get one. This is no big deal. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your history with, uh, with alcohol abuse? Well, uh, it, it starts with my father and I guess I'll, uh, maybe I should start like how it's, um, in, in comedy and then go back to my father. But I started comedy at 17 years old. So I was old allowed in bars. I'm 33 now. Oh shit. Okay. So, so you've been doing a long time. Yeah. And uh, so I, I had like that bar lifestyle, night lifestyle uh, introduced to me at 17, where it was like maybe more coveted um, because I was 17. You know, like, wow, I'm with uh, I'm with adults right now. Other 17 year olds can't do this. I'm getting drinks backstage. Other 17 year olds can't do this. And, uh, and so I you just, were you were you were getting drinks while you were backstage, like when you were 17 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So. <laughs> So that excitement and it also immediately cr- created a uh, normality to it because it's coming in at 17 and I'm going into adulthood like this, you know, so uh, that's kind of like where the alcohol shit started. And the problem is like I handle my alcohol really well. So that's the worst. It's actually it would be so much better if I was like a sloppy, terrible uh, drunk but, you mean like if you were a train wreck if you just like started like two shots in you're like fucking jumping on the table and shit like we don't want to get him drunk anymore <laughs> right exactly so it would make it easier it, it kind of does yeah it's kind of a blessing so like when you can handle your alcohol your, the alcoholic mind is like ah, oh, you know i can handle this i can drink more therefore i deserve drinks people who cannot handle alcohol don't deserve drinks it's, it's sort of the opposite because now you're like creating like a really bad pattern of drinking a lot all the time right Um, and that comes from my dad i just uh, it was normal to see him drink a lot when he was around um he uh the last time i saw him he was in a rehab facility this is like eight years ago and uh, he contacted the local comedy club reaching out saying like i uh, uh tell cody i'm his dad so now i have these managers like hey uh so you're strange father reached out <laughs> and it's my first time working the club so now it's all weird and what a way to get introduced to a club too just like by the way your uh your father called from a rehab like <laughs> yeah you're on stage in five minutes let's get ready <laughs> right <laughs> so it's like uh it wasn't even a rehab just regular it was sort of like you're in jail kind of sure you did some criminal stuff but there's also like a rehab thing i didn't even know these like really exist exist oh yeah so oh yeah those are definitely a thing yeah so what he was doing is he got drunk and he started lighting homeless people's tents on fire oh Uh, what a dick move yeah this dude's like a pure sociopath um and luckily none of the homeless guys were in the uh, tents however one was sleeping in a a car and uh I, i guess he froze to death at some point and they're trying to like tag it onto what my dad did or whatever 
And this is all according to him. I tried looking this up in the news. He said he was in the news. I can't find anything, but also um, that feels like a weird reach. Like I set your tent on fire. So you froze to death. Like, I don't All right. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's also like a pathological liar. So maybe he thought this would be like a funny bit, you know? So he, pathological liar, liar plus sociopath, you know? So he's just going to be out of touch and saying weird shit. Sure. And I think uh, also a pathological line comes a lot with alcohol addiction because it kind of is a, you know, it's unfortunately, it's a survival technique when you're in the throes of, uh, of trying to get your fix, you know, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate because even if you're not a person who's dishonest by nature, when that, when that claw gets sunk into you, like it's, you'll pretty much say anything to, you know, get yourself to your next you know, to your next drink or your next, you know, line or whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that your vice is, you'll say whatever you need to, to get to it. And that, that kind of snowballs, you know, that snowballs into lying about other shit and, you know, saying stuff that's dishonest to get your way. It's just, it's a, it's a bad slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's pretty much what he is. I, I think that's probably related. I mean, he also had a horrible childhood. Um, so he's he's off um and so it's just normal to see him drinking and then uh even though he was out of my life the normality of drinking was still coming through with comedy and uh that was more the celebratory version of drinking and comedy in, in the beginning i was like oh this is like a novelty you don't get to do this at 17 18 19 uh, and then then it became a social lubricant to because to be honest I, uh, I really hated networking a lot. Um, I don't know how things were with you on the East coast, but probably the same. It's not a lot of good people in this business. Um, I think, I think we can pull the curtain back on this and talk about this just for a second. Um, networking fucking sucks. It's not fun. It's not fun to go out and do the hang and like, you know, rubberneck around a comedy club just to quote unquote, meet people and, you know, like, hey, let's be chums and like and stuff like that, because it's just like there's an innate fakeness to it because you know that you're going there with a purpose. It's like I'm not going there to meet these people as people. I'm going there to meet these people who are going to give me stage time. And I think it's like it's not it feels disingenuous, like the networking aspect of it. It sucks. Like it's it's the part of the job that I hate. And I think I always have. Like if I want to go hang out with somebody at a comedy club or I want to go hang out with comics, I'll go hang out with comics. If I need a night where I want to do that, that's great. But if I have to go there to kiss ass, like it, it, it rots me to my core. I hate it so much to have to go out and just like schmooze and like do all that shit. It's just like, ugh. the East coast is big about that. Like you have to go hang out. Yeah. I, I found it a little easier to hang when I was in New York, like for some reason, but, uh, and now this is where it gets like regional bashing, but I'm a West Coast comic. I could say this. I think uh, West Coast people are can be very horrific to be around. Like just soulless sure. shit fucking people, man. Um, Absolutely. And so it's it's not just, you know, uh, going in with a purpose, you know, because like that's sort of like a job interview, which is already intense doing a job interview every night. But it's also a job interview with like predators, narcissists untalented narcissists who have power <laughs> and, you know it's it's really hard um and then you and then just being disrespected you know if you're working hard and 
um, but you're still just not where you're supposed to be on the ladder. There's a lot of anxiety with that. Yeah, you're dealing with Hollywood. You know, you're dealing with people that not only just people like, you know, like you said, narcissists and stuff like that, but you're dealing with actors and producers and directors and these people that have quote unquote power and like stuff like that. So it's like you have to keep a certain decorum if you're trying to get anywhere in your career because, you know, God forbid you talk shit about the wrong manager or something, you know, because they were being a scumbag. Yeah. And alcohol gets you through that. Alcohol can make that experience just somewhat enjoyable. And they're trying to see if you're fun to hang out with. You know, you're also selling yourself, not just as like a talent. It'd actually be easier to sell yourself as a talent. Like if it was like a job fair after, you know, (laughs) you go to the comedy store, it's more of a job fair. But this is like, you know, you're trying to show that you're also a good guy to be around. But that you're, you're trying to be a good guy to be around amongst shitty people. A yeah, lot of shitty people. And that's torturing. That's like, torturing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And uh, that that just led to it. And it just became like very normal for me to just have to take a few shots in order to, uh, you know. And, but the issue was, was driving afterwards. And I really pushed the limit for years and then it finally caught up to me uh, in November. And luckily, I got pulled over and it was only like four beers, which is literally, I mean, that is nothing. That was a very light night. I was feeling fine, but, you know, it led to a DUI. And well, oh, was, gonna... was that four beers in an hour or was that four beers over the over, course of like over the course know? of like four hours? OK, um, so. And, you know, they were, they were a little bit strong, you know, because it was like brewery, you know, beers, but it wasn't sure. like the, the hoppy IPA 13% crap, but it was, the, <laughs> you know, West Coast beers are always, I'm not know. out drinking fucking Viking mead. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I, um, it was, it was a light night of drinking and then it still ended up ruining my life. And that's kind of the, like literally a DUI as a road comic is it'd be easier to deal with arson than a DUI. You're not wrong. (laughs) You are not (laughs) wrong on that. You get your license suspended by career. It's gone. (laughs) It's totally gone. I don't even know how I was able to stack up this last couple of months. I just got lucky that there is good routing, you know, but yeah, rental cars are gone. And that was pretty much the staple of my economy. It was rental cars. And, uh, you know, with that being, and I haven't really, been declared guilty yet but we'll, we'll, we'll see i haven't declared guilty or not guilty yet we're gonna find out in a month but um so this is still fresh fresh like this is a thing that's happening like as we speak yeah and it just my dad has four duis i never wanted to be that guy but then when i realized i'm that guy and i'm in a jail cell i'm like shit dude i i, I never wanted to be uh that's the guy i wanted to be the least you know i that was the guy i ran from every improvement in my life wasn't because I want to get better is because I just didn't want to be him. And right. here I am. I'm, I'm him. I'm fucking him no matter what. And, you know, uh, it's weird because there's always that, there's that term, the sins of the father, you know, that, that kind of go down, especially to sons, um, you know, when it comes to generational stuff, like my biological father was for lack of a better term, a villain from the movie over the top uh, with Sylvester Stallone. Like he was a coke, he was a coked out professional arm wrestler. Whoa. And yeah, dude, it was <laughs> it was fucking wild. Um, but he was a, he like his abuse was weird because like 
he never hit me like it was never a physical abuse thing even though the drugs that he was doing fully could have become a physical thing um he was abusive with my mom but as far as me like he wasn't he wasn't that it was weird because he loved me in his own way which was very weird um because he was coked out all the time so like he would literally break a door down just to come give me a hug it was like jesus christ (laughs) you know yeah so that's something i remember from when i was a kid but the thing is is that that definitely like i would look at that he died when i was 13 so like i was in most of my life without my biological father in you know in my life but that cocaine addiction was something that i always said that i wouldn't have and sure oh. enough i had a vicious cocaine addiction and Shit. it started early and it only ended about five years ago so right it was one of those things where it just like you were saying i looked at it as like fuck i'm my dad you know like it was it was one of those things where i took on his temper i took on his coke addiction i took on it was a lot of personality traits that was just like fuck i didn't want to be that guy and now i am it's just it's hard to look in the mirror when you realize that and it's like you have that come to god moment where it's like all right i gotta i gotta turn this around how do we do this yeah right and in, in uh yeah you mentioned the coke thing i mean there, there's other stuff that i have battled and my dad has battled like the coke and stuff like that and i i was like i feel like it all starts with alcohol like that's a real gateway drug right there you know and i in that in that sense i feel like it's the worst because it's so it, it gets it gets through the defense you know like people might be listening by oh coke i'll never do that shit (laughs) until you do (laughs) until you do yeah Yeah. you get uh, offered a little bump by the right person you're like "Ah, it's just a key bump it's fine oh yeah my first bump was from a comedy club manager and i was like well i want to get in yep okay now i have to do cocaine yep you know it's Uh, funny it's funny that you bring that up because there's something that i've been working on behind the scenes that has to do with the comedy industry and specifically um linking it to alcohol abuse drug use etc and a lot of it has to do with like you've noticed this too with me online i'm pretty vocally against certain types of shows and certain you know business practices and stuff like that that i think we have we have some agreements on and some disagreements Mm -hmm. on but one of the things that i think is like the vein that goes through these is that a lot of times comedy club owners use their producers as essentially alcohol salesmen mm-hmm. like you got to push the drinks you got to push this you got to make sure that the two drinks are taken care of you got to buy those before the show even starts you're like you got to like push 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 for these booze sales and also when you start doing road work as like a feature headliner or something like that it's like if the audience wants to send you shots on stage you take those shots on stage like it's just a constant meat grinder of just booze 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 and I mean, like, I get it because comedy clubs are essentially bars with a comedy stage, mm-hmm. you know, so that's how they get their money. But to put that on the performer sucks because it starts something that is very hard to stop, you know, and it starts from the very beginning. It starts in the open mics and like not not open mics necessarily, but it starts like with those first shows that you start to get booked on that you're not getting paid for, but you get those two free drinks. Mm hmm. So you go buy your two free drink, you go get your two free drinks. And then the next thing you know, 
you're buying another drink and another drink and et cetera, et cetera. And then it just kind of snowballs from there because then as a host, you get free drinks as feature, you get more free drinks and you get your pay and you get all those things. But then when you're headlining, you get like a full open bar tab. And then it's just like, Oh shit, (laughs) I can go wild now. Mm -hmm. But back in the, back in the day, this was something, something to bring up to you really quick. I found when I say back in the day, what a fucking idiot term. So (laughs) like back in the day, uh, much longer ago like before i was doing comedy for sure and i've talked to old veteran comics um that came up way before i did and they talked about a thing that used to happen that is still happening to this day just not as much where if they had a headliner for the weekend that they knew was a considerable alcoholic they would have something in the green room to sober them up and it was cocaine like straight up it was just like it was it was code word for saying hey there's coke in the green room go sober up so you can do your show wow and like that is so fucked so fucked and it it's just it's it's such a shitty part of the business that is hard to navigate around you know and yeah if a comedy club owner or producer or a booker offers you coke and you're early on in the game well fuck it i'm gonna do some coke and get some work you know like it yeah. just it sucks yeah wow I, I didn't realize i mean that actually makes sense though uh, <laughs> if you think about sense. it you're like oh yeah that checks out <laughs> yeah because i mean man coke was so big man it's crazy it had to be at least somewhat endorsed by the by the clubs for a reason but yeah that makes sense it wasn't just partying it was also like hey don't bomb late show please yeah. snort this um wow because it'll sober you up for 30 minutes you know 45 minutes whatever it is that your headline set is sure yeah mm-hmm. it'll pop you off for that and then after the show's over yeah do whatever the fuck you want but for that 30 45 minutes yeah you're awake you're ready to go yeah oh man um it, i had like the best set of my life once when i did some <laughs> when, I did, <laughs> when i did a line i was like oh shit i was like i see how this is uh you know but then luckily the next night i tried it again and then i bombed sure and and i knew it was connected to the you know the, the cocaine and also I, I figured out it was laced i asked a friend that's another oh, thing shit. that people got to figure out man it's like uh well we had in in the la scene we had a, a few comedians die of uh of it being laced fentanyl uh, with fentanyl yeah yeah so if you if you're able to just look at every bag like it's a bag of fentanyl which i'm i'm able to do now um it's sort of like that mcdonald's menu you go in there you're like man that's a nice looking cheeseburger you have to like look at it as the pink sludge that it is for sure yeah yeah and uh that's kind of you have to look at it as the cheeseburger that didn't grow mold for four years being sitting out on somebody's (laughs) table that was on the internet it's like this fucking cheeseburger is eight years old it hasn't even changed right yeah dude so that's uh hard to do because it's um you know the aesthetics of it and all that but boy we uh we we got laced really badly and uh what'd you get laced with do you remember well i asked my friend i was like uh it's really shiny that means it's good right like if it's sticky and shiny because this is the best i've ever had he's like no you (laughs) you pretty much got laced with meth yep and i was like wow well that's why this was so fantastic because uh me and uh, the other comedian we were just looking at each other for at least 10 minutes just screaming like oh my god like this was insane <laughs> we thought that w- meant it was good we were just looking at each other in our eyes every few minutes like oh my god <laughs> no you were just full of meth yeah, yeah. 
you know it's really funny uh jessa reed um who is a i fucking love jessa very much um she's somebody i'm comfortable dropping by name on this because she did a very famous uh episode of this is not happening about how she got addicted to meth and that's how she got addicted to meth she did a line in montana i think it was and as soon as she did the line she said that the back of her skull felt like it was on fire and she was like did you just fucking roofie me with meth like what happened (laughs) wow yeah and then for her that that like sent her down a path of just vicious meth addiction for like a handful of years you know i don't know i don't remember exactly how many years it was Mm -hmm. but if you guys like listening and you also cody if you haven't heard that story um that story is fucking wild and it's because jessa is such a good storyteller Mm -hmm. it's hilarious but also it is terrifying because meth is one of those drugs that once you get it you realize why people get hooked on meth like sure it's addicting physically and everything like that but if you do it and you happen to get you know you happen to get a bump of meth you're like oh shit like this is this feels different but i like it and then as soon as it goes away, you're like, well, now I feel like dog shit. But for that 20, 30 minutes or whatever it was, whew, felt great. Yeah, I, I did crowd work with a cop and I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> messed out. And I like literally if I would have taped that one, that one went viral because I was like ripping on this cop and like crowd work. I was like, fuck, this like opened up neural pathways that, you know, <laughs> but then after, I mean, after that, it really was a detriment and I'm I love so that you lucky. did trucker speed and you were just like, now I'm talking to a cop. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even know, but in the back of his head, he's like, this guy's on fucking meth. <laughs> oh yeah. What if that was, <laughs> I think I'm killing and it's really just crickets and they're just like, we need to get this guy in jail. He's just, yeah, he's just taking notes. He was like, I have to talk to this guy after he's off stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're even me and the other comic, we're like working it out. Cause we're like, Hey man, I'm gonna leave the bag in the, uh, in the bathroom. You go back there. And then, uh, and then when you're done, I'm gonna bring you up, and then you bring me up afterwards, and I'm gonna go in the bathroom. And, you know, <laughs> it's like Gatorade in between, <laughs> for sure. I'm you know, gonna Gatorade, <laughs> dude. It's it's kind of crazy because when I moved to New York, I moved here with uh, the co-host and co-producer of the show, Lauren Petrie, um, and she'll talk about it too. Like we both had we both had a gnarly coke addiction and there was a lot of times that we would just go, you know, out and we'd go out to the bars and stuff like that. And we would do it. And in bars in New York, it's very common. It's very common to just give somebody that little side. eye look like, Hey, you want to go do some blow in the bathroom? Like, fuck yeah, let's go do the blow in the bathroom. Like it's yeah. just, you know, it's that just is a, a Coke city. Holy shit. Is it dude, a coke city? You have no idea. Like you could do a, a pub crawl in New York city, but it's actually a Coke crawl and you don't even realize it <laughs> like you're just going bar to bar to bar and it's just a doing doing a bump in each one of them yeah but you know immediately um if you've been do, doing coke for any considerable amount of time at all you know immediately if it's bad mm-hmm. because as soon as you take the bump it has a different taste it has a different feel a different burn mm. and it's like we've done it a couple of times where we would take the line and then we would look at each other like, oh, fuck, that was meth. Like, it was just, right. you know, the look where it's just like, oh, like, it's going to be a weird night now. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> it, it's more of a burn, right? Uh, yeah. When it's, yeah, because I remember this shit burnt like, like uh, burnt bad. The reason that is, is because meth is very like when they call it when they say that it's like glass, it's because mm-hmm. it literally is like fiberglass. So 
what happens when you snort meth compared to snorting coke like if you if you were to snort pure cocaine you wouldn't be able to do a line of it because it would be so strong that you would probably have a seizure like you just you can't do a, a line of like just straight up pure cocaine um so it's always cut with like you know talcum powder baby laxative like whatever the case may be but when it comes to meth there's actual shards of fiberglass in it so when you snort it it literally cuts the inside of your nose and that's why you get so high so quickly because it goes directly into your bloodstream and that's also why it hurts as bad as it does like why it burns it's because it's literally cutting the inside of your nose mm. it's like the <clears throat> newport cigarette of powder right <laughs> right <laughs> cuts you up a little bit doing meth okay. is like if you smoked a cigarette but you smoked uh, smoked it with the filter side in your mouth you know like if you if you did it with yeah. the filter side out lit the filter instead it's like this feels kind of the same but it tastes like shit and it burns weird <laughs> it's a little bit right. the same yeah and you know to track that back to alcohol is like that kind of got introduced in the way that you introduced it through like how they did it in the 80s is like when you are drinking alcohol and like regulating that right amount of drunkness um all this alcohol has different percentages uh you're not going to do algebra to figure out your the right level of drunkness that you need to be at you know of course not yeah and that's going to come eventually to regulate it through some sort of stimulant that will probably lead to addiction. I'm lucky enough that it did not, even though I highly enjoyed the stimulants. Um, sure. I think I just had enough fear of them. Thank God I had enough fear. Uh, um, but, you know, that that was the thing is like trying to maintain that level of drunkness is a, a real fucking thing because you, they don't pay you enough at these clubs and they make such a nice margin on alcohol. They, they're like, oh, we'll pay you an alcohol a lot of the time. Sure. And that's kind of like what happened with me with this DUI is like, I was like, you know what? They're paying me bullshit. I count, I counted the heads and I just, I, I know what the ticket price was. Like these guys are totally raking in and uh, I'm going to tax them at the bar, you know, like that's kind of your mindset. It's like, okay, you're not going to pay me. I'm going to dry up your bar motherfucker. Yeah. A lot of times you'll take that open tab is like, okay, you're not going to pay me that extra hundred bucks that I feel like you owe me. Then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to lay waste to your bar, you yeah. know? And I then really you got to think... get home. You wake up in the morning. You're like, ugh, I wish I had money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that could be tied to just comedy clubs, not adjusting their, their, their pay, you know? Um, because that was a lot of the a lot of the case was like I'm since you're not paying me I'm gonna dry up your bar, and you know regulating that level of drunk on top of that just to get through the night because it's your millionth time that night you're with people it, it's just it, it's hard to do it sober you have to figure out activities to get through which I'm figuring out like right now which right hopefully would help people once I mention them but. Well, here's a real um, quick question. How long were you sober prior to your DUI or were you? Uh, I was not. I was uh, smoking weed and uh, drinking uh, pretty, pretty regularly. Um, okay. And what was really deceptive about my addictions is that I can quit cold turkey for long periods of time. But then once I start again, I indulge like it's not. So a, you're, you're, you're a binge addict then for the most part. I think so. Because I, I was able to lie to myself and say I'm not a, an addict for so long. Because even I could quit drinking so easily. Like, 
so I quit drinking without any programs in November. I, in the last one time I didn't drink for like nine months. Um, okay. And because I'm able to cut it off, I'm like, Oh, it doesn't have power over me. Well, it totally does. Sure. Of course. Um, Cause it's always I, there. It's always hanging out. It's always hanging out. It's always there. And, uh, the trick of it being like this moderate drug alcohol, you know, it's just so moderate. It's nothing, not a big deal. It's always a battle if it's lying to you by saying it's always uh, not a big deal. It's it's a lie. So you're always going to have to battle that lie. So even if you're not drinking, it's a, it's a total, it's a war. So and that's also, how it gets through. Alcohol, alcohol is there everywhere. Like it's such a common thing in the world. Like you literally can't go outside with seeing without seeing either somebody drunk or a bar or an alcohol advertisement or like a flipboard outside of a building that has happy hour drinks on it or something like it's just it's always in your face yeah always and uh the social aspect is you know we covered it but it, it's so intense man like I, I was seeing friends last night sober and i just watched them slowly peel off because i wasn't drinking because it it didn't lubricate the event good enough Right. You know, and I just have to realize like, okay, well, there goes those connections, even though, I mean, they're, they're still going to be my connections. They're my guys. But when I first started comedy, when you need connections, what are you going to do, man? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. And it's also, you got to figure out how to hang out sober when you're around people that are drunk. Like you have to figure out, it, it's like learning to walk again because you have to like it, it, your brain is reacting to the situation as it's happening. And unfortunately, sometimes if you're used to hanging out with people when you're drunk, your brain has that thing where it kind of almost tricks you where it's like, am I being weird? Am I being too quiet? Am I being too loud? They seem to be talking a lot, but I'm not talking enough. Am I talking too much? Like it's this weird paranoia that you have social paranoia because you don't like, you're not used to who you are when you're not having that, you know, that social lubricant, like you're talking about. And I think it's just, you know, you're just not used to it. So until you figure out how to hang out with people when you're sober, it's, a, it's tough. Like it's, it's a weird hang, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a weird one, man. And then people I've noticed, I knew people were going to be kind of bothered by the sobriety. And that's also what kind of kept me away from like, just fully trying to quit right um, i didn't want to be the weirdo and now i'm like i'm okay with being the weirdo fuck it you know because moderation just ruined my life not binging moderation like four beers got me a dui it thank god i wasn't blackout drunk because then i could just be oh well now i just need to moderate well now moderation just totally fucked me yeah because that's i mean like it's a it's kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing because moderation, quote unquote, doesn't mean shit because it really only takes one, you know, it takes that one that you shouldn't have drank or you shouldn't have done, you know, whatever it is that your vice is. It just takes that one to get you fucked up, you know, like it takes that one thing to screw up your life, that one thing that makes you make that mistake, you know, and also when it comes to driving too, it's also a thing because you have no idea how your body is actually regulating the alcohol that's in there. 
like there's the math of it, of course, where it's like one shot per hour and you should be fine. But there you, you have no idea how your body's absorbing it, you know. So it could be that you had two drinks in two hours and you could be fine. You know, maybe you don't feel like you're drunk. You could be fine, but also you might not be. And you won't know that until until it's too late, you know, until you fucking get in an accident or you get pulled over by a cop and you blow that breathalyzer, you know, whatever the case may be. It's not something that you can regulate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you can't can't regulate it. And one of the things I would do is when I would be drunk is uh, I would start enunciating more. People couldn't tell that I was like near blackout because some reason I I didn't slur. I actually spoke clearer. (laughs) That's really funny because I remember that about myself, too. Because it was weird. Sometimes when I would just be a little drunk, my speech would get real weird mm-hmm. and it would just be a little slurry. But yeah, when I was close to a blackout, I think it's my brain telling like, I think it might be our brain telling us like, you're really fucked up. So you got to make sure everybody knows that you're not. And mm-hmm. then like it forces you to speak in a way that's abnormal for you to speak, you yeah. know, but also at the same time, it's like, well, he's just pronouncing the fuck out of those words so he must be fine like, right <laughs> like i just i don't talk like this normally but now apparently i'm a scholar i have no idea <laughs> right. yeah exactly. yeah but uh, just your brain I, playing tricks on you it, it, yeah i i hope uh i don't know i just hope it's like if there's like a comic not realizing the the, the, the true danger of alcohol listening to this and maybe you're it hasn't affected you yet like you're going down a tough road man uh i i hope that um you figure out some activities i bought a fucking ipad to bring with me to shows yeah to, just because it sort of it keeps my attention you know like uh because i know they're addictive like even steve jobs would let his kids have ipads because it's like ooh, holy shit you see what this is doing to kids Te- dude technology is very addictive like yeah. very much that little glowy screen, you know, the little Apple pencil and things. But I was like, you know, this is better. It, it's at least absorbing me to like uh, either news or a notepad. And I could just sort of keep my brain occupied through that. And I look busy so people won't fuck with me. So, yeah. um, you know, when, when they see that you're not busy, that sort of opens the doorway for them to talk to you. That's how drinks could happen. And, you know, especially if it's someone you actually don't necessarily want to talk to, which is, I don't know, 75% of the time. In comedy. Sure. <laughs> so especially uh, with comedy, it's just like, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. So come over here. Let's do this and then get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> Right. So now you, now I look uh, a busy, you know, and I am busy. So that, that is huge. Like, a little $300 device is like so much cheaper than a $10,000 uh, steering wheel, you know, uh, whatever you call it, ignition. Oh, yeah. The ignition switches that you have to, the ignition breathalyzers. Yeah. God, I hope I don't have to do that. I heard they're like 10 grand. Well, you know, here's the thing. When it comes to like you got lucky, I'll be I'll be very honest. You got lucky that you just got a DUI and mm-hmm. didn't, you know, cause an accident or didn't like, you know have a drunk driving situation where you know you hurt yourself or somebody else because that's that's unfortunately a very common thing especially when you decide to drink and go behind the wheel of a car because mm-hmm. even if you don't think you're drunk chances are you are 
Like, you know, if you even have that question in your head of like, am I okay to drive? Then you're not like, that's just the way that it is. If you have to question it, you're not okay to drive. And with, when it comes to drunk driving, the best case scenario, aside from obviously getting home safe, the best case scenario of something bad happening is that you get pulled over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so in that sense of it, I will say that you're lucky that you, that you just got pulled over and you make, you know, the DUI thing, that's a shitty thing that is also a silver lining to a situation that could have been far worse. Yeah. You know, but I hope you don't get the, I hope you don't get the ignition switch thing either. And also honestly, based just off of what you've said here, you know, fingers crossed, but I I think there's probably a good chance that you're not going to get slammed that hard with it just because you know you weren't like you weren't significantly drunk quote unquote that's such a weird thing to say that but yeah as far as like the you know the eyes of the law goes you weren't significantly drunk and um i don't know talking to you today it doesn't seem like you were probably very uh very combative with the cop that was there (laughs) i don't feel like you started throwing shit and kicking his car you know <laughs> right I, I was incredibly nice to him and uh but I, I did refuse the breathalyzer i elected for the blood test right someone told me to always do that if it ever happens but uh so i got the blood test i didn't know that immediately means you still go to jail so mm-hmm. like, oh, okay so now i'm in jail shit right and, people don't uh, realize that if you if you decline the breathalyzer at all whether it's a blood test or not, if you're just like, no, I'm not going to take the breathalyzer. They're like, sweet, let's go to jail. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't know that was what was going to happen. Yeah. I thought I was going to drive home. What is this? <laughs> right. And I was like, <clears throat> and I had to pee pretty bad. And I still did the, uh, you know, the nose touch, the balance thing. Yeah. And, and the cop was like, you're, you're not the worst I've seen. You're not the best I've seen. Just need a breathalyzer. I was like, shit, dude. If I'm not the, if I'm in the middle, why do you got to shit? Right, right. That was it. I was like, I knew not to do it because I was also on a diet too. I was like, maybe my percentage is a little higher than what I actually, you know, I was just paranoid. Sure. Now I'm in a real quandary here. Like, so without getting into too many legal things, since it's still obviously going on right now, um, when you do you have the results of the blood test like do you know what your actual bac was no that's where it's going to be real fun because i guess in ventura county california uh if you don't file uh, a hearing to the dmv within 10 days and how are you supposed to know this shit but right uh file it within 10 days and then they tell you your uh blood alcohol level which doesn't make sense because you think you're just entitled to that like it's uh you know, it's your blood test, you know? So right, called, right. Called the hospital, called California Highway Patrol. They're like, oh yeah, call these people. Then they said, no, call these people. And I just called between CHP and the hospital at least three times. And then by the time I realized, because um, I, I had a friend who was a, a lawyer that was able to look it up. They're like, oh, you should have filed for a hearing, your DMV hearing. But I didn't want to file for it because they, I guess they uh, will give you a temporary license and immediately install the breathalyzer on your uh, thing. So I was like, I, I, I don't need that, you know? I'm right. Just gonna... But I didn't know that's also in, entitled. I'm not entitled to my freaking case details. Yeah, that is weird. That And that is a weird thing. I would assume that you would be able to just, you know, that would be information that would just be available to you is what I would assume. But, you know, I guess I don't know that part of it. Now, yeah. so it sounds like 
I mean, it sounds like based off of what you've said, as far as like the situation surrounding, you know, getting pulled over and like, you know, the sobriety test and everything like that, it seems like, you know, obviously it's going to be a coin flip, but I think hopefully it does turn out well for you. And this is, you know, um, best case scenario being a learning experience and kind of scaring you straight, so to speak. Right. Because since then you've been sober, right? As far as alcohol goes. Yeah. And uh, well, everything. And then okay, so you've been people... fully clean. Yeah. Cause I, it, moderation is a totally new lens now. Like I'm like, no, 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 no. That moderation shits the devil too. Fuck that. You know, it's, it's because moderation bit you in the ass. So it's like, no. And that's like, here's the thing when it comes to addiction, like when it comes to specifically, you know, drug and alcohol addiction and stuff like that. Um, I will throw it out there. AA works really good for a lot of people. Like it does. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not the path that I went down. Um, but it does work for a lot of people. Um, but one of the things that comes out of that is that yes, moderation is a trap when it, when you're an addict, like some, there are some people that can exercise moderation and some people that can live a very functional life and, moderately drink and you know have fun with their friends and stuff like that and those people aren't addicts like that's those are people that can just function on this shit and be just fine with it and then there's people that are addicts whether it's binge alcoholism or whether it's you know um you know consistent use and stuff like that but the point being is that once it starts it doesn't stop and that's where moderation is a trap because if you try to moderate it puts you back into that cycle of like moderate, 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 but moderate a little higher now, a little more, a little like you were moderating with two shots. Now you're going to moderate with four. Now you're going to moderate with six. Now, you know, it just, it spirals from there. And, um, it very much is a trap. Like if you think that you have a problem with drinking or you think that you have a problem with using as far as drugs and stuff like that, like if that thought enters your head, do I have a problem? Then moderation is going to be a trap for you. Like just straight up. And I mean, I hate that that's the fact, but that's the way that the addict brain works. So if you're questioning it, then there is at least something underlying that, you know, that, that, you know, that it's an issue, you know? So you, you have, you like, you don't even smoke weed or anything now. No, no. And, and that also comes from like, uh, uh, the, the DUI going into jail, ruining my career, <laughs> ruining my financial situation. It also trickled down into like just daily activities. I was like, well, I noticed if I smoke weed the day before I am not as, um, I can't really tackle the day. Like I already suck at life. So I need all the, <laughs> I need all the strength I can, you know, uh, like I have, can't have a weed hangover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, so, and then just, theoretically in in order for me to succeed to any point that's um um mm, appetizing let's say sure i need to be working 170 percent. that's actually what it requires that's not even for uh superstardom that's just in order to pay your bills and not sweat so bad right it, it takes a lot of focus and and uh, so I can't afford to um, hinder my already handicapped brain because I have ADD. Um, so I have to, you know, watch out for that. And also uh, I can get blood tested. I'm on a Medi-Cal insurance. So um, that's 
kind of a thing like they i'm on adderall so they're like oh you know we find weed in your system we can take away the adderall it's like well i need the adderall way more because i don't know how to sit down and do flight logistics and bookings and all this stuff for that many hours a day uh just sober i can't do it <laughs> so do you have a manager or do you do a lot of your own managing or is it I, like I kind do, of both I, I do all my own managing so i'm uh, i should be working about 12 to 15 hours a day and I, I can't. So I, I'm trying to get to that threshold. I was kind of doing that in 2018, 2019. I was able to really just buckle down. Sure. Um, I'm trying to get back into that mode to do that. And I'm realizing that I'm, I'm just older now. Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. Fuck. Like, I didn't know it's just physical uh, energy that it's also mental energy. Like I know. Oh, yeah. That- Mental oh. and emotional energy ages just as much as physical does, if not yeah. more sometimes, you know, I think it might have been more too. like, I think I have like the mental energy of like a 50 year old, you know, right. I think, I think life was a little bit fucked up for me. So I just have a little less at this age. Sure. And I think that's, you know, like going back to the parental thing. So like, here's a question about that. When you were younger with your father and you were just used to him drinking, was that a thing that was like something that affected you as a kid? Like what I mean by that is did his drinking directly affect you as a kid? Like did it, did his drinking cause him to do anything to you as a kid? And I'm not, you know, going to get into details, but like, was it something that affected you in that way? Or was it just something that stuck in the back of your head as you were growing up and as you were seeing what the drinking was doing to your father? Oh yeah, that was both. That it, both of those things so it there's the normality of it plus there were some incidents where i was like oh shit um so he used to not come home i remember like it was like a freaking you know those commercials like where the kid's like crying out the window waiting for his dad to go home, come home sure yeah uh, literally very, very me. Sad commercials <laughs> yeah literally me every night it's like what are you selling us like this is a weird <laughs> this is a weird ad <laughs> yeah He's selling so, us like eye drops because that kid is crying a lot. <laughs> right. It, my dad was a mess. It wasn't just alcohol, but I just feel like that's that's the scariest one, you know, uh, because I mean, he was a coke dealer. He did meth. He did all that shit. But I just feel like alcohol was that was like the Trojan horse, you know? Well, right. You got to go out and find meth and coke like you have to go out and seek that out. You just have to leave your house to be presented with alcohol like that's that's the trap. Like you just have to leave your house and then the rest of the world is like booze, you know, like, yeah. no, thank you. But <laughs> yeah, it, well, uh, there, there's a lot of shit that me and him went through. Um, we used to live in like an abandoned garage with a crackhead. We used to sleep in bars when I was a kid. Crackheads make um, terrible roommates, by the way. Just the yeah, <laughs> believe like contrary to belief. <laughs> yeah, you would think that they would be very like very organized and everything not at all not at all <laughs> yeah a <laughs> um, lot of vcrs um, a lot of electronics don't work <laughs> they're all they're all they're all taken apart but a lot of electronics <laughs> yeah i actually uh, i saw my dad get stabbed once because he was he, he got drunk and beat the shit out of someone oh um, shit yeah he uh that'll be one that sticks with you for life yeah yeah he, he just got hammered and this guy Okay, so he got mad at his crackhead girlfriend. This is like his third crackhead girlfriend. And uh, we were camping. Like infinity crackheads. He's just got a full gauntlet on now. (laughs) I I think I even have like a a crack baby brother uh, somewhere. 
I, I might have up to eight brothers. That's a whole other story that I just found out like recently. Oh shit. I just met my older brother for the first time last week. <laughs> oh man. So you have, you yeah. have like, a, you have a whole hidden crack family somewhere where it's just like, yeah. Shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. He impregnated a couple of crackheads. And I, I hate saying that because if he's ever listening, like, and he doesn't know his mom was a crackhead, but uh, she was, um, <laughs> well, you heard it here, her here first folks. <laughs> yeah. Welcome went- to the Maury Povich show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he he got mad at one of her one of his crackhead girlfriends because she almost ran us over in this uh, tent we're sleeping in a tent because uh, we're camping but that's I, I think i think we're not just camping i, I think financially things are happening and, and we just conveniently went on vacation that type sure of thing. yeah um so you almost she almost ran over the uh tent where me and her crack son were sleeping and uh and he got really mad he pulled her out of the car and was like shaking her right and then this guy came in and was like, hey, don't put your hands on a lady, you know, and then he just, <laughs> like snapped. Yeah, I like, love that that was <laughs> that was such a TV thing. Don't put your hands on a lady, sir. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to beat I, the shit out of you now <laughs> instead of this lady. <laughs> right. um, slammed him to the ground and I heard him like I heard his IQ go down with each punch. The noises he was making. Jeez, sure. dude, this guy yeah. got beaten. And then he had no choice but to pull a pocket knife out and he stabbed my dad in the neck, right? Oh, then, shit. He did it in the neck? Yeah. But luckily, it was like one of those little tiny pocket knives. Cause like, yeah, yeah. So, because, yeah, they, he missed some really vital Dude, stuff. If that would have been a blade with any substantial length to it at all, this would be a completely different story. Like, yeah, I watched my dad die that day. <laughs> yeah. He... uh then my dad just ran into the woods because, yeah, you know, when you're bleeding from the <laughs> neck, go away from society. Uh, right. That's a very family guy scene. Like just yeah. stabbed in the neck. Like, oh, I have to run into the trees now. Like, yeah. Don't go to the hospital. I'm going to the redwoods. Fuck this. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, so then I was just there and then, you know, she starts getting high. She starts smoking weed with all these other campers, uh, a.k.a. meth heads. And um, they're all organizing to find my dad in the woods and like jump him. So I had to like, or, or even kill him. But I, I begged all of them to like not do that. And uh, I remember knocking on other trailers, like, you know, those like little camper RV things. Sure. And uh, knocked on one of the doors and I knew this kid from school and I thought his parents would help me. And I was like, hey guys, my dad just got stabbed in that. Can you like call 911? this is before cell phones sure and uh they're just like now and then just hung, they shut the door i was like what fuck. the fuck that was like my first introduction to like the way people actually are you know right <laughs> like i fucking hate neighbors now this is terrible <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so just for the rest of your life you can't live in an apartment building because you have a neighbor right next door and you're like i already hate you i'm sorry <laughs> it goes way back <laughs> there's another thing that normalized drinking and driving is like, I'd be in the truck with my dad as he was drinking all the time. And uh, one time he crashed into our house. I actually do this as a bit um, on stage, but it's true. Uh, He crashed into our little trailer park mobile home with his truck. And, uh, and I say like, Oh, he crashed into my room, but thank God I was safe. I was in the passenger seat. So actually, (laughs) It's a true story, and I, I call it like a white trash 9-11, just nothing but mullets and Mountain Dew everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Um, but that's that's true. Like I, I was in an accident with him and it sort of I don't know if it normalizes it, but it takes away the severity of consequence because you already like went through it. Right. You know? like that it, makes sense. You know, I, I think when it comes to normalizing drinking, especially it like it does go back pretty far for most people. I think I think most people have that thing where it's like they grew up around a parent or like, you know, whomever that was the drinker of the family. And like, it was weird with me because my upbringing, my upbringing was severe as far as like, you know, what I went through, but it was, it was a different kind of severe, completely different kind of severe because, you know, my biological father was um, full of all sorts of drugs and booze and shit like that. But then like my mom completely stopped everything when she got pregnant with me. So she quit everything cold Turkey and she grew up, um, she grew up really rough and prior to getting pregnant with me, she was a roadie. So like she wow. worked, yeah, like she worked with rock stars and shit. So, you know, that there was drugs and stuff being used all the time prior. Um, but then we left my biological father um, after a pretty significant incident. And then that's where we met my stepfather who's been, you know, for all intents and purposes has been my father for most of my life. And he's a cop, which is the complete opposite of my biological father. So it was, yeah. uh, but his drinking was never, I never looked at my stepdad's drinking as quote unquote alcoholism. Um, and even to this day, I mean, like, I think there's, you know, drops of alcoholism in his drinking habits, but like he would drink all the time, but it was always like he would get off work and he would come home and he would have a margarita or four you know, or he would have, you know, he had the liquor cabinet that was locked that I always wanted to find the key for, because apparently I thought that I could just break into it and just take a little off each bottle and he'll never notice, you know? Um, (laughs) but that's the way that it was normalized to me because I would just see him get off work and have a beer or have a margarita or have, you know, insert alcohol here to unwind and stuff like that. So when I grew up, you know, and got out of the house, 18, 19 years old, shit job working at like a Papa Murphy's pizza, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just thinking that I have fucking life problems at that point. Like, I'm going to go home and have some beer, you know. Right. And then the next thing I know, I've drank an entire half a case of beer and I'm like, I feel like shit now. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. And then how is your, uh, how would you say your mood stabilization just, you know, not necessarily just the next day, but like, uh, you know, just in your life, like once you went sober after a while, how is like your moods? And so like focus and stuff that was interesting for me because when I quit so when I quit I had to readjust to who I was if that makes sense mm. yeah. because I didn't really know who I was because most of the time when I was dealing with a situation that would require me to have emotions I would be fucked up in some way like at least un- like underlying, I would be fucked up. I wouldn't like be blacked out or anything like that, but I would have enough booze in my system to at least lubricate the emotions. Um, so I kind of didn't really know who I was and it took a little while. Like it took, I would say at least a few months before I started to like really lean into, you know, what my actual emotional capacity was mm-hmm. like how my anger, my temper, Uh, how my emotional capacity was for like sadness and happiness and like find like actually letting that stuff settle um Mm -hmm. it took it took a little while to actually like be able to think about that stuff um and my temperament 
I will say one thing I did notice is that initially my temperament was bad. Like I had no patience. Oh, like, and that was initial. Like, so the first month or so I was still very, it was still very fresh. So like, I didn't have any time for anybody's bullshit. And I generally, I like, I generally don't, but I can, I, but I have, uh, I'm a very patient person in general, even if somebody is annoying me, I'm just like, you know, I let them do their thing. Like it's no big deal. But that first month or so I was a fucking asshole. Like I was not nice. I was a dick. I, I didn't want to hear anything from anybody. Like I was a pain in the ass to be around. But after that first month, everything kind of evened out. And I started to enjoy social interactions again because mm. I actually started to get to know people again, which was another weird thing because when I was drunk and I was hanging out with people, I had no idea about them. I couldn't uh, tell you. I couldn't tell you a fucking thing about that person, whether it was how their personality was, what their life was about. Nothing. It was, it was all a blur. So right. when I started hanging out with people again, I was like, Oh, I like these people are actually friends now, you know, even if they were getting drunk or whatever like that, if I was hanging out with them, like I was actually paying attention to what they were saying and what they were doing and like stuff like that. It was like, Oh, I actually am legitimately getting to know this person that I've quote unquote known for the last four years, you know? Like, yeah. And it was, it was a weird thing. It was a weird thing to change. Wow. Yeah. That, that it, I didn't realize there's so many people that I thought I knew like when I was really drinking hard, um, you know, cause I, I started to moderate really well before the DUI. Sure. And that's so I, I do consider like before the moderation also like a form of quitting. So like when I reference, when I drink really hard and I know if I'm, I'm only completely sober, just a few months, but it's just sort of been a de-escalation in a way. Uh, and when I first started to de-escalate, um, I guess I was getting to know people better. I didn't realize I was sure. That's, it's, wow. it's for better for better or worse you know wow wow that's that's incredible there's so many people i uh are like man this guy's the shit but really what we were doing was the shit <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you <know>? yeah <laughs> sometimes you think it's like this dude this is my best friend dude he's awesome you were just doing you were fucking drunk all the time like it was just he, like he was a cool drunk friend but now that i'm not drunk it's like oof. all right maybe he's not the greatest person you know or like the other way around sometimes it's just like I didn't know I actually like this person as much as I do. Like this person's dope. Yeah, it's, that it, it's weird. That's happened quite a bit when I realized like, oh, shit, this guy's pretty all right, you know, and stuff like that's been kind of happening, too. Sure. You know, just because I'm, I'm more all ears now. There's no I'm not being occupied by anything. I'm just like this empty vessel listening to people and I'm yeah. starting to see where they're coming from a little better. And I'm, I'm, I'm projecting less you know uh sure because i think my moods are more stabilized so i'm actually able to project less <laughs> that makes total sense and also you know it's kind of like the whole idea of this show like you kind of you get to put this out there and you get to actually get to know a person like the people that listen to this episode maybe they didn't know you maybe they did know you maybe they knew you two years ago last year six months ago whatever the case may be and then they hear this side of you like that's, you know, it's kind of what we do here. Like it shows it opens it up a little bit more for people and it allows you to actually listen to somebody and, you know, see what they've gone through and shit. And that's the same thing with just a regular personal interaction. You know, once you're more attentive and you're more engaged 
in the you know conversation that you're having and in the situation that you're with with another person once that engagement comes back you start to notice things that you just didn't notice before you know whether it's that they're awesome or they have like their own story or they have you know things that you um that you relate to you know things that you have in common stuff like that it's just shit that doesn't even register when it's not some, you know, when you're preoccupied with something else, whether it's like, you know, preoccupied with the fact that you've been drinking or preoccupied with being there for a, you know, very specific reason. Like I'm here to talk to this person because I want to get on this person's show, you know, or Mm -hmm. we're stuck in this situation because we happen to be two comics here and we're both fucked up. Like, you know, whatever the case may be a forced interaction compared to an interaction where you actually are clear headed enough to actually, you know, take in what the person's saying, it Mm -hmm. fully changes like your relationship with that person. Yeah. And it's, what's scary is like, you don't know that you're not taking in a percentage of it when you're in that state. You don't know that you're missing shit. Yeah. When you're missing stuff, that's the whole point of missing something being missing. You don't know it's actually gone. (laughs) Yeah. It it never, it never landed the ship. (laughs) It just kept flying, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I've I've noticed that a lot. I've noticed that a lot. Uh, So here's a question for you, because this it's kind of something that I'll also bring up come, you know, in comparison to how you do this now. So with you being completely sober now since November, Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that at shows? All right. Yes. Yeah. What's your process? What's your process? All right. So, um, I identify if there's a green room or not. And if it's like separate from, you know, from that, that's always kind of helpful. Um, Cause it kind of just puts you somewhere. But um, so I started bringing, I, I bought the iPad. Like I, I hope that's not my only fucking advice. I'm just realizing, but this, ad- no, no, <laughs> this, believe iPad. me, that's why, that's why I'm leading into this because I know that the iPad is not the only thing. <laughs> I know that for yeah. a fact. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's see writing before my set which was always sort of a priority but i didn't do it every time you know but now i have to because it uh you know i have to find a way to be occupied um i'm also setting up cameras because like why not record every set right so i'm doing that so that eats away at that time because like really it's windows of opportunity like you're, you're sure. sort of playing defense against the alcohol right so if i limit the amount of times it can catch the ball, it's not going to get that many shots. Right. So I, that's how I'm kind sure. of looking at it. Um, so I'm setting up cameras. Right. And then like after the show, it's like, uh, I could go get a drink and go hang out. I was like, no, 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 go pass out cards, go hit up every single audience member, pass out these stupid cards. So now sure. like I've, I've knocked out an hour and a half and I make sure to tell the bartender, like, don't let anyone buy me shots or drinks on stage and that's a very smart thing to do by the way this is one of the reasons i wanted to ask you this is because you're still early on in your sobriety and -hmm. i think that's very specifically important to comics that are struggling with sobriety because the early parts of it are some of the hardest parts to navigate so Mm -hmm. i didn't mean to cut you off but continue on that because that's very important to tell the bartender just so you know like don't send me any shots yeah well like last week i was at this club the club manager was we had a lot of fun getting drunk together last time we were together i mean we had an amazing time drank till 5 a.m and it sucks because you know that won't happen again but 
I had to tell him why so in order for him to respect my sobriety. Uh, so one of the things that I'm having a hard time doing is admitting that I, I have a DUI amongst some people. I can do it on a podcast for some freaking reason. I can do a bit about it for some reason, sure. but like some of my friends, I don't want to like admit that the reason I'm s- sober now is like, I, I got a DUI, you know, it's very embarrassing because it doesn't just mean that you have a DUI. It means that like you could have killed someone. Exactly. So, so it's, it's fucking embarrassing. Um, so, it, it, it feels embarrassing when you when you say it like mm-hmm. I think initially and that type of a thing feels embarrassing. I do want to point out that it's not an embarrassment. It's it is a cause and effect situation because when it comes to using and it comes to drinking and stuff like that, there's always going to be consequences to the drinking, whether they be small or huge. There's always going to be some sort of consequence to it. For most people, that consequence initially is just a hangover. You feel like dog shit the next day and half of your day is fucked because you can't do anything because you, you know, you got a headache and you're throwing up, et cetera, et cetera. But the DUI thing is there's a stigma attached to getting a DUI because or to, you know, driving drunk, there's a stigma attached to it. And obviously for good reason, because it is dangerous to do that and everything like that. But it's also something that that probably saved your life if i'm being completely honest you know the fact that you went through that situation or are going through that situation now i understand that saying it like saying the words i got a dui does come across you know in the moment as an embarrassing thing but it's actually such an important um milestone in your recovery because you know again it could have gone way worse for sure. So you are lucky in that sense, but also, you know, if it's something that you stick to and it's something that you don't go back to, then yeah, this very well could have saved your life. And it's probably in, you know, it's probably going to make your career that much better too, because you're going to be writing in a way that's going to be very different. Um, And what I mean by that is that when you start writing and start really going into your act and into your jokes and into your career stuff, like when you have a clear head, Mm -hmm it's a completely different writing process. Like it really is because you start peeling back layers of stuff that was just buried because you drowned it with booze, you know, and you didn't even realize that you did it. And then it's like, Oh fuck, I can, I can totally make this really crazy thing funny because this is an experience that I went through and I can see the silver lining of it. I can see the humor of it. You know, I can see all those things. Um, so again, didn't mean to cut you off, but I just no, I wanted no. to point, I wanted to point that out that, you know, it's, it's okay to feel that it is an embarrassing thing to say that is, it's totally okay to feel that way, but in the long run, just know that it's not an embarrassing thing. It actually is a life-changing situation. And, um, it's, it's good to accept that you went through that and that it is putting you on a, pl- on a path that's way better, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think uh, not just I, not just me that needs to hear that. Maybe anyone that's listening and, uh, well, maybe, and that also helps to like admit, uh, I don't know, not victimhood, but, and I fucked up. I like admitting that I fucked up is hard to admit. I didn't yeah. even want to admit it to this club manager. Sure. But then I realized that he was, uh, pressuring me to drink. So then I realized well, now it's time to be honest because this is your only defense against this peer pressure. Sure. Just tell them you got a 
freaking DUI. And then I told him, and then he was completely supportive. And he's told the bartender, like, don't allow anyone to pour him drinks. Also, he's not allowed to drink tonight, blah, blah, blah. He completely shifted. And uh, so if anyone's struggling, just admit you're struggling. Don't like try to hide the struggle. Don't be like, nah, I'm just taking a break tonight. You know, don't do that because people are going to feel obliged to create a good time with you. Uh, instead, make them feel obliged to support you. And that's going to admit just being honest that you're struggling, which could be embarrassing because with me, it's embarrassing. Um, but like you said, maybe it's not a reason to be embarrassed. Maybe it's a life-changing moment. So um, just be honest amongst people, like tell people like it's like you're, uh, you're defending against um, alcohol that could come through them. It's, there's all these different pathways that alcohol can hit you. Not just if you're um, in near the bar, like if someone from the crowd can get you a drink, sure. um, some, some comic could set up plans, you know, for networking, you know, thousand percent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I, I, one of the other things is like diners. So if you need that late night thing, I actually kind of learned this from uh, fucking diners, man. <laughs> yeah. I learned that like Godfrey, when I was opening for him, he'd always hit a diner. He doesn't really drink like that, but he wanted, he has like that insomnia, you know? Sure. He'll hit a diner. We're at a diner every freaking night. And then I realized, all right, well, it's the same amount of money. You're actually having genuine conversation with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, so you're sharper, anything that transpires, like you can maybe, maybe it'll improve you on stage. You know, you're, you're at least exchanging ideas, not having drunken blabber shit, you know, for sure. But there's another, uh, thing where comics think that, oh, I need to have all these fucked up alcohol experiences in order to gain material. And then if I come off as a fuck up, I'll be more likable and funny on stage. Like there's this need to pursue that identity of being a fuck up um that's just not the case at all man like if you really think about it how many funny comics there are that are not that character right um it's actually it far outweighs (laughs) you know the 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 drunk funny comic which those guys are great too but really think about it man right Uh, and there's like a romantic romantic i don't even know what the word is romanticizing of that lifestyle and a celebration of that lifestyle of being the fuck up or being like the being the Hunter S. Thompson type of character, you know, where you just fucked up on all sorts of things and you have all these crazy life experiences and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sorry, not all of you can be Doug Stanhope. Like, it's just that's not the case, you know, and even somebody like Doug, like I love Doug to death. He's one of my favorite people in the world, but even he calmed down as far as like the, you know, the getting fucked up and everything like that um yeah but you know like one of my favorite comics in the country is squeaky clean which i never ever thought would be the case based off of the kind of comedy that i do and the kind of comedy that i like but Mm -hmm. it's nate bargazzi oh yeah dude nate bargazzi is he's fucking brilliant but if you listen to any of his sets he's not talking about being a fuck up he's not talking about going crazy and doing all these different things and all these like you know wild stories and shit like that um he's talking about being a dad and being a husband and you know going out on the road and just absurd stuff but it's all like it's the stories are great they're great stories and they have nothing to do with him you know being a fuck up of any kind and i think that endearing nature of it like the the fantasy that we have in our head of being that rebel comic you know 
I think it's something that also, especially just as dude comics, that gets kind of thrown in our face early on of like yeah. the Bill Hicks thing, the Sam Kinison thing, the Lenny Bruce thing, the championing all these people that, you know, that came before us and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such a weird mindset too to have somebody being like, I want to be the next Lenny Bruce. It's like, you want to fucking die in jail? All right. Like, right. <laughs> that's what you want to do? All right, buddy. <laughs> Good yeah. for you. You know, and it's, it is, it's a weird, um, a weird fantasy that I think a lot of specifically, I think uh, male comics have of being like this wild, crazy person in comedy. And it's like, if that is who you are, like if that's actually your life, then by all means talk about it you know but mm-hmm. don't create that life to reflect it on stage right anytime you have to create what you say it's just not even those guys are going to be doing that material anyway you know like the fucked up guys they're going to do they can't help it right like, so but there is this weird uh yeah romanticizing of it and if if there is any like younger comics romanticizing the uh destructive um bravado thing just think of it this way all those guys had it so much easier than you in the business no matter how much For real <laughs> you're so fucked right now like this is the hardest time to ever be a comedian don't romanticize people that came before you because they literally do not have they have not even a fraction of the problems that you have coming to you from this business this is going to be so it's so much harder being a comedian now it's ridiculous it's impossible now almost, but it's very hard. It's very, very hard. Yeah. So yeah, th- that'll help, you know, like uh, replace that admiration with bitterness towards how easy they had it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you totally won't fucking uh, romanticize them or try to mimic them. Cause I, I mean, I would kill to have Sam Kinison's uh, freaking opportunities, man. Like it was ridiculous, dude, getting it's, TV five years in that type of bullshit. It's, it's wild. crazy. It's absolutely wild. And you know, it's sometimes it's one of those things too, where also, yeah, you might get discovered early on. And if you do, you are fucking lucky. And like, like to say that you're not is insane, but most people that have gotten discovered early talk about themselves being lucky. I'll throw somebody out there as a perfect example of somebody who is young in their career, but the opportunities that they've been presented with, they were presented with through you know connections and luck etc and he even talks about it in his latest special he's one of my favorite comics in the country his name is moses storm okay um and he just did a comedy special on hbo it was called trash white and it's a fucking great special but one of the he's very open about the fact that the opportunities that he has had in comedy have -hmm. been based on luck like he very much got lucky obviously he worked his ass off and he's a very strong worker and he's a very good comic and he continues to work his ass off but the success that he's had he did get lucky and he's very open about it like he's one of those people that also grew up with a fucked up past Mm -hmm. um but like it's one of those things where yes you can get lucky you might be able to strike gold you might be able to catch lightning in a bottle all those things those are possible but it's not the norm in any way shape or form and those dudes that you fantasize about being they it was a lot more common for them it was a lot easier for them you know mm-hmm. like you said about sam kennison like if you tried to be a sam kennison today it wouldn't no. work like right. it would they'd be like you're just fucking screaming what are you doing 
Like, (laughs) you know, it just, it would not work today. And, you know, in his time, he went up and he was this, you know, crazy, like, you know, out of the box character. He was wild. He was loud. He was vulgar. He was just all these things. And during that time period, people gobbled that up. You know, networks did like fucking like everybody did. That was their thing. Now comedy is like, it's like you said, it's much harder. It's much harder to be a comic now. Yeah. So many things that you have to navigate through and also just the grind. Like the, that's one thing about you that I remember, like, even from early on, from when I got to know you early, like you're a fucking hustler, man. Like you, you have put in legitimate work, um, you know, to make this your career. Like, I know I saw you guys doing the, it was, uh, I saw you doing the bus tour, the, yeah. or the RV tour. Like that was, you know, that was wild. Like to just fucking up and decide to do that across the country that's that's nuts you know that's that's a whole other man that was nuts man that's that was the time i actually did that math (laughs) oh yeah that's not surprising at all yeah traveling the country in an rv doing shows i think i'll do some meth (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it does match up pretty good actually totally does you're you're driving a trailer (laughs) so yeah it totally makes sense (laughs) bring the trailer court to the city um right yeah, but you yeah, don't I, know how hard you're going to have it in this business. That's one thing. Because I thought, like, oh, five years in, I'll probably have, like, some, like, late night credit. And then, like, ten years in, I'll finally have an hour. And that's when the special will come. It's uh, I didn't know it'd be this hard for me, uh, especially because I started at 17. I thought, like, you know, by 30, I'd be, like, fine. Uh, it's just not the case. So don't don't uh, uh, fucking romanticize those fucked up figures because I did it for a while. And uh, and it, especially because some of my friends that the funny guys on the scene, unfortunately, were, were also the addicts. Sure. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be associated with them. So then that was uh, that was a bad thing. So hopefully I nip some things in the bud for someone listening uh, that there's different ways of doing this shit, you know, and if you really look at how you perceive things uh, in terms of fucked upness and how to romanticize it. Uh, it's it's really not the case. Most of what you admire about comedy is not that. You just have to really think about what all you admire. Sebastian Maniscalco, you know how funny is that guy? Right. All these all these people are not that person. <clears throat> Even like, I, you know, Louis. Let's just pretend like that shit didn't happen. But like, if we can remember, like how we all admired Louis, he was dark and fucked up. But it didn't come from like being a uh, degenerate. It was just like. He's more making fun of uh, the way his mind works and how shitty his mind is, you know? Right. In so hindsight, some of that did come from that. But you, I get what you're saying 100%, right. you know? Yeah. His, yeah his, brain, his brain was just, you know, making fun of the fact that you have fucked up thoughts in your head and you have this darkness and stuff like that. Like, he was a master at that, you know? But like you're saying with Sebastian Maniscalco, dude, he sells Madison Square Garden out four nights in a row, you know? Yeah. Like, and he's... he's a, megastar and he's making fun of the darkness if you really listen but it's just like there's just different layers to it you don't have to be this drunk mad at the world persona like it's easy to think that because you're looking for a comedy voice so you know for years as a stand-up and you think man maybe that's it you know i'll go do crazy things and then i'll have things to talk about and uh and then i'll just have like this general emotion towards my topics which probably be anger it's like no there's so much more 
There's so much more nuance to comedy. You could be just bothered. You could be an annoyed guy. You don't have to do that alcohol route. You, chances are you'll be a more brilliant comic anyway. There's only a few guys that did the, the drunk thing good, you know? <laughs> True. There, there's very few people that did it that did it well and very few people that made it like an actual thing. And this is kind of what I've always said about comedy. Like one, like sometimes I'll be admittedly kind of an asshole about clean comedy, but like the way I look at it is if you are a person who has a life that is a quote unquote clean comics life. So like if you're a dad and a husband and you go out to your kids' soccer games and like you have this, you have a, a clean life in that sense and you're talking about it on stage, it comes across as authentic. And then chances are, I actually enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other thing about it is if you had a fucked up life, or if you had these experiences and they were real, and that's where they're coming from, they're not just these manufactured things that you forced yourself to do. Then that dark comedy also comes across as authentic too, which means that I like it more. And then if it's the opposite, where you just kind of are forced, forcing yourself to do this clean persona that you just are not, Right, And then the other way around, if you're forcing yourself to be this dark comic and you just are not that person, yeah, it comes across shitty. It does. It comes across inauthentic, uh, contrived. It, it's like, and I don't even mean that as like a snobby comedy critic type of thing. I mean, just like you can tell that somebody is talking about something that they haven't actually gone through, mm -hmm. you know, and it just, it comes across as like, you just made that shit up. Like that's, you know, or you just forced that into existence. Like that's not something that actually really happened to you. You just, you know, and it comes across, it comes across way worse. And I'll say this about when it comes to the booze and the drugs thing, when it comes to comedy and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but um, I feel like we're probably going to be on the same page on this. If you're a newer comic and you're starting to get work at clubs and you're starting to get work at different venues and stuff like that, if your relationship with another comic or a producer or a booker or whatever like that, if your relationship to them is always based around the fact that you're getting drunk or based around the fact that you're out, you know, getting fucked up and partying and stuff, that's not a real relationship. Like yeah. you, you don't actually know each other. And if you're forcing yourself to do that, then you're not creating an actual bond or relationship with that person. You're creating something extremely temporary mm -hmm. that chances are is going to come back and bite you in the ass because it's going to be, it's setting you down a path to where you feel like you have to do that to have a relationship with bookers and with a producer and with another comic. Like you're, it's setting you down a thing that is going to make you think that that is a requirement. We have to get drunk. We have to get fucked up. We have to go out and party. That's how I network. That's how I do this. And that is not the case. Like you don't have to drink. You don't have to do Coke. You don't have to smoke weed. You don't have to do any of those things um, in order to have that relationship with that person. And if the fact that you don't do that, like if you decide that you're not going to drink with that person or not going to do that Coke or not going to smoke that weed and they don't want to hang out with you, cool. Then you just didn't need to have that relationship straight up. Yeah. And that could be scary for someone to be like, oh, shit, I mean, there goes that connection. Very but, scary. Um, you know, just uh, one thing that I've learned in this business is like there's always a path, even if you don't see it. And chances are you're going to be on the path that you don't see most of the time. There's going to be a few times where you actually see some path and you go through that path. and It's, it's how you expect it. But most of the time, it's actually going to be 
uh, a very blind path. So just because you close the door doesn't mean there isn't an open door right next to you. You just might not see it, but it, it does automatically open and you don't know what's going to be in that room. So just shutting doors is more important than opening doors because those doors automatically open. They're like automatic doors. Don't yeah. fucking worry about closing a damn door. Cause that was my problem. I was so afraid of closing a door because I was so desperate to like, to like go and get some more shit, more goodies, more achievements, but don't, don't do that. Just close doors, close them. You know, uh, the, you will not, you will not box yourself in by closed doors. You, you just, you won't, you'll actually be shocked. Actually, it's like three doors open every time you close a door. It's really weird how it works, but you just won't be able to see it. So you have to learn to walk by faith. It's going to be very hard, but you have to just do it. Yeah. You have to take the chance and it's, it's terrifying and that's okay. It's okay to feel like it is a scary situation. And I feel like also, maybe you can attest to this. The more you do it, the less scary it gets because the more you realize what the payback is, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you shut a door on a relationship that feels bad, And this, I mean, you could even fucking take this to your real life in a relationship with another person. But if you close a door in a relationship that feels bad or feels damaging or feels inauthentic or feels like it's a dangerous relationship to put yourself into, closing that door um, does, it, it ultimately is a good thing for you. And the next door that opens could be the next opportunity. It could be the best networking opportunity you've ever had. Or it could just be a person that you are, you know, end up being friends with for the rest of your life. You have no idea. But that initial door closing that, even though it is scary, you, you know, if you keep doing it, like just paying attention to when something doesn't feel right and just cutting that off, closing it, it does get a lot easier. Um, You know, there's always that little twinge of fear for sure, but it does definitely get easier. It definitely, once it starts to prove, you know, that process proves itself to you. Um, it does, it does get less scary. Yeah, it does. It actually becomes like kind of a, a normal thing. You actually almost can't wait to close the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, once oh, you, perfect. once you notice something is shitty, you're just like, can't wait to cut this off. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know? to simplify. Like it, it's like a way of being a, a minimalist, but socially. And For it, sure. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And also, this is the other thing about that is it also doesn't let that shitty relationship or that like dangerous relationship or whatever it was, it doesn't let that sit and fester and become something angry later on. You know what I mean? Where it becomes mm-hmm. something that goes from like, okay, just cut this off while we can, like while it's early, while I notice it, like just get it done and out of the way so I don't have to fuck with that anymore compared to just letting it sit there and then having a blow up later on. Because like I've seen that happen too many times where you kind of try to force this thing that really shouldn't be there and you kind of force yourself to be in that situation and then it just boils over and sometimes it boils over publicly, you know, or like on social media or something like that, you know, like, and that's, that's no good for anybody that makes, you know, everybody involved look like shit. Um, But yeah, just noticing it, recognizing that it's not good and then cutting that off and closing that door is so much healthier for you both as a comic and just as a person it's emotionally much healthier to -hmm. just close that door close that door walk through the next one see what's behind it you know yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And just and allow the doors to open. Don't try to just open these doors because that's also coming from a place of desperation. And when you're in that state of mind of desperation, that's usually when the when that addiction thing can also take advantage of you. Um, oh, yeah. Hard, when, when you're hard weak. to be. Uh, yeah, it's really hard to not be desperate when you're first starting. But um, uh, just don't be. Um, that law of attraction shit, as much as I hate it, there, there is a lot of truth to it, man. Like, you know, just people who just sort of accept uh, the moment and don't try to force the future type of thing. Those people do achieve more. I watched them. Those all those people achieved way more than like the desperate hard workers. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess not hard workers, but scrappers, because everybody's working hard. To of course. Various degrees. But the people that are like really thirsty don't fucking be thirsty man um yeah don't don't be thirsty <laughs> yeah and that's that's a good way to put it and this is like something that i've also kind of i've taken this mantra on especially with my recovery is that if a situation feels forced it shouldn't be happening like yep. it, if it feels forced it's not supposed to be happening so move on like yeah just straight up you know if you're trying to force a square peg into a circle shape it just it's not supposed to happen and that's like one of those weird universal things where like you know if if it's supposed to happen it's gonna happen like it's not necessarily saying that but it is saying that if it naturally if it doesn't feel natural and it feels like you have to force this thing into existence Mm -hmm. then it's not supposed to be there and you shouldn't be wasting your time on it you know of course, do the work. Of course, seek out opportunities. Sure, do all those things. But don't, like you said, don't be desperate. Because yeah. it, it makes you accept things that are that you shouldn't accept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, here's a, some personal uh, reference to it. Just so that way it doesn't sound like we're just saying bullshit, you know, because some people just still might look at their reality and still believe their reality more than what we're saying. Sure. Um, reality is only like a moment. It's going to be totally different in the next moment. So like, don't yeah. assess things like as they are now, like first time I did blow <laughs> was with that club manager. Yeah. And that was at my home club, uh, started at that club would have been my home club. It's the first stage that I ever went on. Um, and I'm not in at that club. I'm not in. That's 15 years ago that I first touched that stage. I'm not in at that club. And I that was the first time I did blow because I was trying to get in. Sure. So I'm in at like 50 other clubs across the country. But the club that I first did comedy in, I'm not in there. Right. And I did. I did blow with the manager, dude. Or so, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So like, even if you think you're opening this door, I mean, and I've been trying to get in for for 15 years. And I'm still just wild. Yeah, (laughs) it's fucking wild. Yeah. And I'm just not in and I'm from there and I can actually draw there because I have people that they just won't. It's just not happening for some freaking reason. And and I know it's not any anything weird. Uh, Like, I know it's not like I'm banned or anything. It's just some reason the universe. I hate using that word. The universe is not allowing it to happen. So even if you perceive that you're forcing open this door, it really just does not work that way. You don't kick down doors in this business. And I know. Tony Robbins will probably tell you something different or, or whatever. It's right. Like this is more of a, uh, or even like uh, sports try to try to teach you to like force things to happen. Like it, that's just not how this works. Don't look to athletes. Don't look to insp- comedy is its own thing. Um, you're just, you're subject to the, 
you're subject to God if you believe in it or, or not, but that's the right. mindset to have, even if you don't believe in it, but that is the right mindset to have because you cannot rely on yourself. You will drive yourself insane. You have to allow these things to just sort of happen for you and just work hard. Just put your, put your, put your work in and just focus on that and learn to enjoy that, you know? Right. And it's, you know, especially like, you know, you're saying with this, with this, what would have been your home club thing. Like if you're not in there yet, you're not in there yet. Maybe you'll be in there five years from now. Maybe you'll be in there next year. Maybe you'll be in there in six months. You know, it doesn't like when, when it happens, it'll happen. And if it's not supposed to happen, it's just not going to happen, you know? And when it's kind of funny that you bring that up too, because I remember when I did, I, I used to book a comedy club in Yakima, Washington, and the comedy club unfortunately had to, it closed for various different reasons but it wasn't because it wasn't successful it was mostly because like the hotel that it was in got sold and stuff like that so it was kind of a shitty happen chance type of thing but when i booked that club yakima is my hometown i know almost everybody in that town whenever i go there people come out to see me like it's it's a thing but i remember for the longest time I wouldn't do a show there unless it was just like a quick showcase thing, but I wouldn't do like a show show there because I knew that I knew everybody and I knew that it wasn't a good thing for me to do it because then I was going to get fucked up with all my friends. It was going to be a big thing. Like it was, it was going to be destructive. You know what I mean? So now when I look at things like my home club, my first home club was actually the comedy underground in Seattle. Mm, Um, Yeah which is unfortunate that it closed down like, you know, fucking pandemic, but that was my original home club. And then my home club after that was Tacoma comedy club. And I would still consider Tacoma comedy club, my home club. Um, But it's kind of similar in this sense to what you said. I can headline at this point. Like I have the material to do it. I have the time to do it. I have like, especially in a place like Tacoma, like it just, it was my place, you know, um, I know that I could headline that thing. And even if I only headlined it for a Thursday or a Sunday or whatever like that, um, it still has never happened. Like mm. they've never offered it. It's just never been, it's not been something that's been presented yet. It's not been something that has even been put on the table yet. And I worried about that three, four years ago. Yeah. Like that was something that bothered me. Like it actually like really fucked with me. Um, and it started to cause some problems with me. Like it started to make me bitter towards things that I didn't need to be bitter towards. Mm. And like now today I look at it and I think about it. I'm like, you know, that's fine. Like maybe it's just not time for me to do that. Maybe I need to have a better act in front of me to do it at a place like that. You know, like I'm in there as a feature or whatever, but like, that's my club, you know, do I want to headline that club? Absolutely. I would love to headline that club. But maybe it's not time yet. And I have to understand and I have to like kind of submit to that um, mindset that's like, it's okay. It's fine. It's okay that it's not time yet. It's okay that for whatever reason, it's not happening. And that's okay. It's not, it's not a reason to cause any problems. It's not a reason to send me down a different path or send me down a shitty path or anything like that. It's okay. <laughs> that's really what it boils down to. It's totally okay. I'm going to work at other clubs. I'll work at other places. I mean, look at you. You're in Vegas right now. You know, how many shows are you doing in Vegas this week? Uh, We're doing seven. Uh, Well, I just did one last night and uh, 
yeah i was like I, I begged the booker i was like dude i just need some cash this shit's getting crazy and uh, they sure like, yeah they're like hey come feature i was like cool man i'll see you there and then um you know so it's been uh, about three weeks on the road so this is the first time i've ever like really did the road sober 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 and now it's the first time in vegas like sober 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 and it's it's working man like uh, what I did is like, since I replaced alcohol, let's say I replaced it last night. Cause I technically did. I okay. replaced that with a good night of sleep. And then I was able to do this, <clears throat> this podcast, which is way like when you delete something opens up, it's, it, it just happens, you know? Um, and when you're, when you're drinking, there's also like this desperation and you don't feel like you're going to make it cause you're always boring and shit. Like, sure. You know, you're trying to drown that out. Um, um, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to say this, but because you're desperate, it's not a desperate way. Of, it's not a, it's not a nice way to live when you're desperate. You want to die. Kind of, let's just be real. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like when I, t- when I drank, there was also like this sort of catharsis where I'm like, cool, I'm kind of killing myself slowly. Cause I'm not really enjoying this ride anyway. <laughs> Microdose and suicide. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. Every time. Like, so if you, if you kind of have that in your head, it lets you know what's going on behind it. Cause it means that you're in sort of a desperation, even if you try to like bravado your way out of it, like, I ain't desperate. I don't need shit. It's like, well, you're still bothered by something clearly because you, right. you don't, you don't want to keep living. So you obviously want to kind of micro You don't want to quite kill yourself, but you like when I smoked cigarettes that it felt good to, to kind of kill myself a little bit. That's what sure. it felt like. Yeah. It's because I wasn't enjoying the ride. Um, so if you get out of that desperate uh, state of mind, not only will your opportunities come, your addiction will also like kind of be dealt with better. And since your opportunities will now be better, you'll have less reasons to want to drink. Like, fuck, so-and-so got that gig and I didn't. And so did the other person. Like when you see everyone just like totally passing you up, it, there's a good chance you that won't even be happening as much because your opportunities will come because you'll be sober. And I'm actually preaching just straight up sobriety. I, I don't even, I don't even want to preach moderation, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, that's because moderation fucked you. Like, yeah. so, you know, for lack of a better term, it's exactly what happened. And also, again, that's a different path for different people. Like moderation for you doesn't work. And it's been very clearly proven that that's the case. Like, you know, it's, it's been proven to you in your life that moderation just doesn't fucking work for you, which is completely okay. For some people, moderation does. That's also completely okay. But the biggest thing is, <clears throat> the biggest thing is recognizing whether it does or not. Mm-hmm. And you got to have your right head on your shoulders in order to realize that. Because honestly, I feel like maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like when you first got pulled over and first got that DUI, the the thought of moderation probably wasn't even something that entered your head. It's probably taken a little bit of time for you to reflect back on it and be like, moderation fucked me up, you know? Yeah. Well, I, it made me angry at alcohol. I was like, God, fuck this shit. I don't, even if I was drunk and it was a good drunk right now, I wouldn't enjoy it because I'm just so mad like that I allowed it to, to trick me. And then also, it's not just about how the substance fucks you up. It's like, really look at what's on your plate do you need to be working a hundred percent optimum performance? Chances are you do. Cause if you're in the arts now, you really just 
you bit off more than you can chew. Uh, so you need to be a hundred percent. You're going to have to be your own social media manager. You're going to have to come out with content you're going to have to write stand up. You're going to have to book yourself. Um, and then probably work a day job, deal with family and all that. Like, uh, unfortunately, it, even if you like handle substance really well, this business, uh, might totally change that just because what it requires. If you yeah. really think about what it requires now, it's not like, Oh, I just need my showcase set to get on Carson. It, it's totally different. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's very, it's very different. <clears throat> and I also think, you know, like, um, well, we can go ahead and wrap the episode up here by, by saying this, I think that, um, what happened to you is what would be considered a happy accident. Like it's a shitty thing that happened. Um, it's something that did change the trajectory, um, of your career, like whether it's, you know, for good or bad, it's something that did change the trajectory. It's something that is now an experience that you have to draw from. Um, but it is something that's pushing you into a direction that is healthier. Like, whether it's, you know, whether it costs you however much money it costs you, it is still something that pushes your life into a healthier place now. And it's doing a lot of things just I can tell this just by talking to you today, that it's lifted kind of that weighted blanket that was on and let you see things more clear, let you understand things more clear, and realizing what's important and what's not, you know, and mm. what's important is, you know, doing things that are good for your career, good for your life, good for your health, good for you. What's not important is that drink. Yeah. You know, what's not important is going out and using to fucking make yourself not feel because that's really what we get addicted to. Like we get addicted to the substances for sure, but we also get addicted to not having the responsibility, mm. you know? not having the responsibility of feeling <laughs> not having the responsibility of actually doing our job and actually working on our career. Like, you know, those things that we get addicted to not having to deal with that shit. And then once you get cleaner, once you get more clear headed, it actually kind of gets fun. Yeah. Like it, it gets fun to sit down and actually map these things out, you know, and set realistic goals and like actually do things and put it out into the universe, you know, and being like, I'm going to fucking go to this place. I'm going to do this club. I'm going to do these things, setting like actual good goals for yourself and being able to actually work towards those. That's, that's way fucking better. Like it really is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it creates like a precision to your, to your thinking, but it's not like soulless and robotic. Like if it just doesn't work out, it doesn't work out all these goals, you know, like literally everything that I set out to do, none of it fucking came true <laughs> which is and and that's like it's weird it's like you laugh about that but it's fine that that's okay like that that happened because that's something i do want to touch on people get terrified of failure and they shouldn't because failure is natural we're gonna try a hundred things and 99 of those things are gonna fail you yeah. know you know what i mean because like all the things that failed lead to that one success and the one success is what matters. Like those things that failed, whatever you tried, you tried those, they didn't work. That's okay. That's completely okay. Because the thing that you do succeed at, that's what matters. You know, that's yeah. the thing that's going to push you forward. That's the thing that's going to, you know, that's going to make 
make a future like those the that's the type of thing and failures are just stepping stones that's all they are and that's you know that's been the the case since you know you've been young that doesn't just have to do with comedy that's just life in general like it's totally fine to fail everybody does it it's i mean if you didn't there there's not one person in this world that hasn't failed at all like it's just it's not that doesn't happen <laughs> so it's just it's a natural part of setting goals and setting you know trying to do opportunities and have things happen that's a natural part of that process so if you fail that's fine you move on you move on to the next thing and that's totally okay embracing yeah. it i think is important because i think a lot of people end up falling back onto booze and drugs and shit like that because they feel like a failure quote unquote like you're not a failure failures just happen to be a part of life and that's completely okay it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to start drinking again or start using again or be embarrassed or like any of those things you just move on you move on to that next door that opened up like you were saying before right yeah and just laugh it off laugh off the failure and actually try to be hungry for it fucking joke about it yeah, yeah. joke about it like it's that's fine it's just life experience Right. You'll be funnier embracing failure if you really think about it. Funnier people tend to embrace failure really well. Like uh, I, I like the way Norm MacDonald um, mentioned the way he bombs. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's like, man, if there's anyone funny while bombing, it, it was Norm. He was still killing while bombing type of thing. It was beautiful. And uh, he just said, well, if the joke is funny, then it's um, then it's funny. But if a joke doesn't work, that's also kind of funny, too that sure. it didn't work so i was like oh shit now if you apply that to life dude you're a fucking tank now yeah absolutely it's, it's funny that you bring up the norm thing because there's a local comic here in new york um he's performed all over the country so a lot of other people know who he is too but his name is lance weiss okay. oh yeah i've heard of this but yeah yeah lance is fucking great i love lance I, I know lance yeah yeah lance is dope lance is also my favorite person to watch bomb like and it's because he does kind of what norm does but like this is the thing with lance he's been doing comedy for a long time and he's so comfortable with his own voice that he knows that when a bomb is happening he does a shift like he'll do a couple of different things but one of my favorite things that he'll do is he'll do like some really just like fucking heaters right up front some a-game stuff and if it falls flat he'll look at the crowd and he'll give them this look like, all right, motherfucker. And then he'll start doing just dog shit, just street jokes, like just the worst. <laughs> and then he'll look at him and be like, listen, I gave you guys a game material and you didn't give him shit. So this is on you. And then he'll just start, <laughs> he'll just start doing the worst comedy. And then he'll be like, listen, you fucking like you start laughing at this and then we'll work up to the B material. All right. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's like, great. you gotta, you gotta earn my trust back now. Like it's that type of thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know, and it makes me laugh. And then like one of the funnier things I've seen him do is he was doing the show. We were doing the show, just an awful bar show. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be doing a 10 minute set. And I think he got like six minutes into it and it was just bad like all of us were eating shit Mm. so he put the microphone back in the mic stand and he walked behind the bar where the producer was lighting everybody from and Mm. he lit himself like from the like as if he was on the stage 
Oh, that's great. He pulled the light up and he was like, you got one minute left, Lance. And then he would go back on the stage. He goes, you said what? It's like 30 seconds now. All right, that's been my time. And then he puts the mic back in the stand and just leaves. And it was just, <laughs> it was so funny because all the comics understood so much. We were like, I wish I would have fucking done that. That was terrible. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's brilliant, man. Way to work with it. You know? Yeah. Just pull the fucking curtain back and embrace the fact that it's like the show is going badly. So we're going to make it fun, you know? And that's kind of the metaphor about this whole failure thing. If something's failure, fine, fucking embrace it, make fun of it, like just make it an experience that you had in your life and then move on to the next show, you know, whether that next show is being a comedian or it's just the next show in life, just fucking move on to that next door that opened up. Yeah. You know, are you any good at drawing? Have you, do you can you like draw well? Like uh, I'm, like, I, I'm okay at certain things. All right. Well, I, I'm I'm okay too. But like, you ever like start drawing something and then you're like, all right, this was supposed to be a frog, but this looks way more like a truck now. I'm just gonna start sure. drawing a truck. Exactly. That's, you know, that's really what this business is. Like, it, it it'll be like a failure, but your creativity with the failure is gonna be how you succeed. Sure. Um, I think that's really what it is because like I. When I moved to LA, I thought that would uh, be like just TV credit heaven. Nah, dude, I, <laughs> I know. I got, I've, I haven't gotten anything from Los Angeles. I don't think maybe like one small reality fucking thing. I don't even know if it aired, but right. Um, the it's like sweet, I just got bumped from an extra on Sopranos. That was great. <laughs> right. And I thought I'd have an agent. I'd never have signed with anybody. I've been doing comedy 15 years. I have, uh, going on two two credits now doing stand I still don't have uh, an agent um, so what I mean is the TV credits didn't come from LA it came from doing the Chitlin circuit from because oh I was, yeah I was rejected you know by I was kind of rejected by the alt scene because uh, not to shit on the alt scene I'm, I'm over I'm over all that but at <laughs> the time it, it, was, it was a little it was a little white you know, it was like the whole sure. thing was pretty white, right? So if you were like a Chitlin Circuit white comic, you're now known as like that guy, as sure. if you couldn't do the alt stuff. And it sucks because the alt stuff was the mainstream stuff. Uh, so I, I got kind of pushed out of that. It was just kind of hard for me to get in. So, and that was basically what kind of ran LA too, you know. So um, I never got anything, and my freaking Comedy Central credit came from the fact that i did a soul food restaurant in oakland right that, it came from that this guy that produced it somehow got in touch with kevin hart's people and they were cool with it they're like okay well they'll hold a competition we go to that same soul food restaurant we hold a comedy competition a shitty little comedy competition whoever wins gets on tv had nothing to do with la yeah um so like nothing so I, I wanted to talk about the business part of it because i feel like that 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 creates a lot of alcoholism this is business so absolutely you know and then uh the hbo thing it didn't even come from dude that came from my my wife she, oh yeah <laughs> she booked a show she auditioned she got the damn sitcom and the sitcom producer happens to run this uh comedy festival that happens to get just taped for hbo there you go and they didn't come from like la like well kind of i guess but like I, like nothing is uh it's it didn't about... it didn't come from the fantasy of la that you had before you moved there right so like when you're drawing that frog and it becomes a truck just fucking draw the truck man 
like fuck it you drew a truck all right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's gonna be 90 percent of what happens and you know maybe a few people will be just really lucky and they're like a you know like the gerard carmichael type where it's just like all green lights good for you just be careful when you get to the top because i guess it could bite you in the ass there too that comfort you know like some of the some of my very famous comic friends they would be they would be further if they weren't such freaking potheads man sure and that also that's something to to that's something to say like you know as much as that social lubricant is there in the early parts of it that social lubricant can come back and destroy you later on because it's no longer a social lubricant now it's a now it's a necessity and it's no longer just a thing that you use to network now it's a problem you know and that's something that really sucks too, because I think we've seen it with some bigger comics and stuff, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to put their shit on blast, but there are some bigger comics that were very, very famous, like relatively recently, you know, that had some pretty high profile um, issues with alcoholism coming back and biting them in the ass live on stage, you know, and that shit hits the news and then all of a sudden it's on TMZ, it's on fucking Buzzfeed, it's on, you know, insert internet thing here. And now that 20 plus years that you worked for on that career just got knocked the fuck back and you have to rebuild shit. And it's kind of like going back to the DUI. Was it worth that one last drink that you had? Probably not. You know, definitely wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't yeah. worth it. Um, and so it's it's that slippery, slippery slope. And this is the thing I want to say to end this whole talk about addiction is that if you are asking yourself if you have a problem, then chances are you do. I'm not going to say guaranteed, but I will say chances are that you do. And you should reach out for help. Whether that's advice from somebody who is in recovery, whether that's to a program, whether that's that's to a rehab, whether it's to whatever the case may be, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Because when it comes to addiction and it comes to recovery, um, you have a lot more people on your side than you realize. And you have a lot more people that are willing to drop what they're doing to help you out even for five minutes, even to just talk to you, whatever the case may be. There is a whole fucking world full of people out there, especially with social media, the way that it is now that are more than willing to talk to you, like more than willing to be that shoulder to, you know, at least listen to what you have to say. Um, And it's something that is very scary in theory to reach out about, but in actuality, you have nothing to be afraid of. Just reach out for the help because it is there. It absolutely is there. And you will be so much happier once you actually realize, you know, that you could like, once you actually realize that the help is there, it takes so much pressure off of you to just be able to actually talk about it, to just be able to actually put it out there, um, you know, and let it be known that you do have a problem and that you do need some help with it. And that's completely okay. That's kind of what I want to do with the show. You know, like if there's even one person listening right now, that realizes that they're not alone in whatever struggles that they are having, then it was a success, you know, 
I don't care if there's a fucking million people that listen to this or whether there's 10 people that listen to this. If it affected even just one person to help them go through their shit, then I would consider that a success. I, I agree. Yeah. Just try to honestly assess yourself, you know, and even if you know it's a problem, it's not like a don't don't be like that, you know. Don't make that your personality. If you really think about it, it's kind of basic bitch anyway to kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's really funny. We wrap this up with like, by the way, if that's your personality, it's fucking hacky. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, dude, reach out to help, but also fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Have some insecurity to help, to help your motivation towards a new path. <laughs> right. No, but it's fucking true, dude. It is true. You kind of have to wear that shit on your sleeve, you know? Like you do once you actually do go forward with it. And that's also something just to understand once you actually do put that out there. Sure. That is going to be a part of your thing. And that's fucking okay. It should be. You went through the experience. You went through the struggles. You did the shit. Like these were things that happened in your life. Fucking use them. Tell people about them. Put them on stage. Make a joke about them. If you fucked up. Find the funny part of where you fucked up because chances are it's there. Like, you know, there's almost always something funny in the fucked up. And if you're a comic, use it. Fucking weaponize it. Make money off of it instead of costing you money like it used to. Fucking do it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, this was this... absolutely awesome, man. I mean, you got two hours out of me and it was completely enjoyable the whole time. I didn't think I had that much in me and uh, this was fantastic. I was able to really keep going it was great i knew you, i knew you were like when you said i don't think i have two hours in me i, was like, I don't know I, once we get talking i think uh, i think we can go down some stuff on this which dude honestly this has been such a fun episode i'm really happy to have you on here um and thank you very much for being as candid as you are um because that's really what i want out of this um is i want people to listen to us i want them to hear the candid parts of it and you know understand that we all go through shit you know we all have struggles. We all have the shit that we deal with. We all have our own problems. But one of the biggest problems with having, whether it's a mental illness or a trauma or an issue that happened in the past or whether it's addiction or whatever, one of the biggest problems with it is that we feel like we're alone in that. And it's very clear that we're not, you know, like chances are there's somebody out there much like yourself that is dealing with some of the same shit that somebody else is. So that's why I'm so happy that you were as open and candid about it as you were, um, you know, because I think that helps a lot of people. Um, but tell people that are listening what you're doing, what you got coming up, what shows you got coming up. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'm going to put out a special on YouTube. Um, it's going to be called Live from Moscow. Seriously, that's what I'm going to name it. Um, nice. Yeah, it's from Moscow, Idaho. There's like for sure. Really, really <laughs> I, was good... I was picking up what you were putting down when you said that. <laughs> yeah so um i'm gonna put that out and uh just a lot of the stuff on the youtube the youtube thing's been going good so i'm just gonna kind of put a lot of stuff out there and there's a lot of content already um i'm probably gonna release like an episodic series of this rv shit that i did about traveling the country um and yeah just the youtube channel cody woods and i tour a little bit trying to do that less well <laughs> And sure. also, also it's going to be hard to do that coming up, but, um, you know, so YouTube, everyone, if you could check it out. And also where can people find you? They, do you have like a website? Do they just look you up on social media? What's going on? 
Uh, well, I do have a website. It's CodyJWoods.com. I have my handles there and all that stuff, but uh, I'm just not a fan of anything beyond YouTube. I mean, every time I post something on Instagram, I lose like five followers. So I'm like, it's better <laughs> not to, <laughs> it's better not to post. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be putting out, like, I, I'm trying to do this thing where vlogging meets stand up, if that makes sense. Um, like, uh, almost like a real life version of Seinfeld, but you know how sometimes his stand up would relate to the episode and it would cut back and forth. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been trying to do that conceptually. Like, um, like when I first started the RV thing, uh, I was, we were, we were just poor in a, a parking lot in Yonkers. Cause we were working with this really shitty booker. You probably know who it is. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, he ripped us off a lot and then we're like, we're not going to say his name, but we will flip him the bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, um, we were homeless in this parking lot and, uh, you know, my touring partner who, you know, we, we split, uh, so I'm not really gonna, not really gonna mention him much, but like, sure. Um, he, he had the idea for, um, buying the RV and then I had the idea of branding it and then what we could do with it, uh, content wise. So he went into debt for the RV. I went into debt for the cameras and we shot like 13 terabytes worth of footage. God damn. Yeah. And just um, and the idea is to like bring real life and stand up into one episode. So whatever happens in real life, if we have a joke about it, it's also on stage. And then we cut back to real life and we create like a storyline that way. Um, so is this like found footage comedy? Is that what you like you're you're kind of doing here? Found footage? Yeah, like a fine, like a found footage horror movie, but it's with comedy. Like where you do the comedy on stage and then it flashes back to the footage of like what it's actually inspired by that actually happened in real life. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know the found footage reference. No, no, that's that's totally fine. But that, that's um, totally what it's reminding me of, though. Yes. So that that's it. So like I'm always like constantly filming and I'm rarely uploading, but I'm just trying to find storylines, you know, where I'm like, OK, cool. And I have a bit about that. So I try to make that sort of a story with the stand-up so it's sure. sort of like um or it's sort of like an episode of louis or seinfeld where it cuts back and forth to real life and stand-up but now it's like a like the stand-up has to relate to the story as opposed to where those shows were a little loose and it was you know scripted right uh i'm trying to do it where there's a vlogger in new york he's in la now but i thought he was a genius this guy named casey neistat i think he's a oh yeah yeah Dude, yeah i was blown away like i was never blown away by anything like non-comedy until i was like dude this guy's timing and creative decisions is ridiculous and he's working with nothing he's uploading a video every day of his day and he's making it fucking magical if a comic did that i feel like it would be the best content ever yeah he's that uh, way in the in the food realms he's like a he does it with food a lot right yeah i think he yeah he'll do like food and like airline travel like he does all kinds yeah. of shit yeah, he's the shit. He's very cool. Very good yeah. dude. So, um, you know, I just wanted to do that just with sprinkling the stand up. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the point of my YouTube channel. So I don't get the most amount of views when I try that vision. <laughs> so it's yeah. better when I just upload a clip of a freaking heckler and then that'll get three million views. But like the shit that I actually love, you know, like combining when life meets art, literally for sure. Uh, People are just like, what is this? Like, just fucking. Do you see? 
but whatever watch it and enjoy it (laughs) so i'm realizing the real way to do that is to combine it with the rv footage and literally just make it like a documentary-ish episodic um you know like sort of like insomniac meets key and peel sure thing i think that's a great idea dude and i think i think once you actually put that together and start putting it out there i think that's that's a very dope idea because i feel like some people have done a version of one side or the other of that but the combination of the two i don't think has been done and i think it's also just very interesting to have the stand-up comedy and real life tie in together like that i think it's dope so i think it's i think that's very very cool uh, yeah thank you it's very hard to shoot it's incredibly hard oh to yeah shoot. but you know it's like yeah that's what leads to 13 terabytes because you're just like trying to capture everything because you don't know when it's going to uh coincide you know yeah absolutely you got to catch it in the moment yeah and so like the first episode technically it was uh you know we're in a parking lot literally trying to book shows because we don't know how to produce shows and so we're in this casino. There's like a casino in Yonkers. I forget the name of it. Yeah, uh, I think it. I want to think it's called the. Uh, it's the something world casino. Yeah. yeah. So we're broke. Resort world. Resort world casino. That's, That's it. it and uh, we're sitting there in this RV. We're pretending to be gamblers. So that way we can sleep there because we don't know where to park, park this shit in New York City. Right. And then, uh, you know, I have to get a haircut for a show. And it's like I'm scrounging up money for that. And I go to get uh, the haircut. And meanwhile, the Birdman just completely ripped off all of our dates. Like we were supposed to be set for April. And now all of our projected income is gone. So I go to get this haircut from this psychopath Russian guy. And he gives (laughs) me this terrible haircut. And now I got to go on stage with this haircut. And now there's a guy in the front row with the same haircut. And it just sort of created (laughs) a nice story. Sure. And uh, so that would be like episode one and just us trying to make shit happen. And then the, the next day we figure out that we got a lead in New Orleans. That's so our first show. We just book it and there's zero tickets sold 10 miles per gallon driving there. And then it, as we get there, it, it sells out like within two hours of showtime. Oh, and wow. We're like, we're like, holy shit, this is actually working. And then we book another show. It sells out and we book another show. It sells out. We're like, what the fuck? It's this is working. And then we went from New York to L.A. And then our final show was at the Hollywood Improv. And then COVID happened. And then but that'll, that'll I remember like that, actually, because, yeah, you guys uh, you guys sold out the the improv lab, right? Yeah, we had a uh, 90 people. It's like the highest of all time in the lab because <laughs> we, yeah, we for anybody for, for anybody that's listening. The, the improv lab is the what would you call it? The side room yeah, of the Hollywood Improv. It's actually a really cool little room. Some people shit on the lab because they're like, just the lab. Like, no, it's a fucking fun room. Like, if you have to fill that room up, it's really fun. Right. Yeah. And it usually seats like, uh, you know, 30 to 60, I think. Yeah. But we packed like 90 in there. <laughs> and uh, uh, so it was just like. Almost that... made it to 100, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we were probably going to get main room next time we do it. And then just COVID just completely ruined everything. And then. uh touring partner like he he was one to quit comedy anyway so he just he trailed off and then, and then i remember that stopped. too i, I yeah. remember i remember him just uh not wanting to do comedy anymore it was just like all right a graceful exit i guess 
<laughs> yeah. And I think his goal was just to like, see if he could be a professional comedian for a month for, you know, a considerable amount of time. Sure. And he did it like, that's really hard on itself. I wanted the tour to be like actual content to get us to this next level. And I, I think, I think I was overreaching like his goals, you know? Sure. That makes like, sense. I, Cause I, I was already a professional comic and I realized it's either feast or famine. <laughs> it's yeah. Not like, yeah. So I, I, I trying to get that feast cause I'm really sick of the famine. So I think he was like, fuck this. Uh, I, <laughs> I see what this business is. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm kind of stuck. I don't have like a back, uh, plan B. So. Well, I mean, I think, like I said, I saw what you guys did with that, and I thought it was dope. Um, I actually was supposed to book you guys on a show on that tour, and I remember what had happened with that, too, because it was a show in Washington that I booked. Um, oh, I booked, that's right. Yeah, because I used to book a show in Washington, and this was pre-pandemic and stuff like that. Um, but then the pandemic fucked everything up, and it also caused all sorts of problems with um booking things and shit like that and i remember because i had you guys set to do a show there and i was fucking bummed that i wasn't able to you know that we had to cancel that show i was super bummed about that because i remember that even the venue was excited for it they were like that's awesome yeah let's do that oh yeah that was like near the end of our tour we did northwest that would have been perfect yeah yeah Yeah, it's one of those things but also here's the other thing again one door closes another opportunity opens so now once that was the case that we were going to do that. And that ended up not happening. Uh, now that I actually know you and that I actually know you personally through all the stuff that we've, you know, talked about, not only here today, but just on the internet and stuff like that. Once that room opens back up, guess who's getting a headline sh- uh, spot there. <laughs> so, oh, that's you know nice. I mean? man. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a perfect example of one door closing and another one opening. And I will tell you this, that room is coming back. Um, we just kind of had to wait to see how, like reopening stuff worked and everything like that and they like completely renovated the room like that venue is fucking awesome now like it was great before but it's really great now um so yeah once we start actually booking the headliners in there again uh you got yourself a headliner show there so oh dude that'd be amazing i would would love it i mean that's the most beautiful part of the country (laughs) northwest dude it's gorgeous yeah (laughs) unfortunately it's going to be in yakima washington which is not exactly the most gorgeous but (laughs) uh listen it's my hometown i will shit on it if i want (laughs) it It sounds pretty it is actually (laughs) yakima yeah it's actually quite pretty like it's it's got i think the i think the most hops in the united states for all the breweries around the country, the majority of them come from Yakima Valley because the Yakima Valley is like, it's covered in like fucking hop fields and vineyards and shit like that. Like it is gorgeous. Yakima, unfortunately also grows meth heads. So, Uh you know, you get a little, little give and take there. So (laughs) yeah, you got to balance the hops, you know, you do, you do, you do. Um, Fuck, dude, this has been really fun. I'm really glad that you were able to do the show here, and uh, I'm glad that we got more time out of you than you thought because, like, this has been a great conversation. And, um, you know, again, like, if if anybody out there listening right now, like, you can find me on social media, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. Um, I'm at Jonas Barnes on Twitter, at Jonas Barnes Comedy on Instagram. And if you find me on Facebook, my profile picture is almost always going to be uh, Guy Fieri with Willem Dafoe's face because I like to give people nightmares. 
Uh Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's almost always my Facebook profile. But if you're struggling with addiction, you have questions about it, you just want to talk to somebody that's going to listen, fucking by all means, hit me up. Like my DMs are open. Um, I I have no problems talking to a complete fucking stranger um, if they're trying to help themselves get out of, you know, the vice of addiction. Um, I have no problems just bullshitting with you. So you can always hit me up. Um, and, uh, you know, you can find Cody at CodyJWoods.com, Like you said, you can find all of his handles there. Uh, probably not too much Instagram cause he likes to keep followers and not lose them. So <laughs> right. that is really funny. That it's like, you fucking just lose them every time you post something like, fuck this. What was this? I didn't know I signed up for this. Right. Um, but yeah, they check out your website, um, pay attention to your tour dates. Cause you know, I know you're doing the tour thing and you're going out all over the place. Um, and yeah, this has been fun. This has been the Tromedy Hour. Um, you know, you guys keep coming back, keep listening. We talk to a different person every time. Sometimes it's me and Lauren. Sometimes it's just Lauren. Sometimes it's just me. But we're always going to talk about about the stuff that you were afraid to talk about in public because we want to destigmatize it. We want you to be comfortable talking about things and putting it out there and you know helping other people. So um it's been great to have you on the show cody uh super happy to have you on man this has been fun and uh hopefully we'll you know hopefully we'll talk to you again um you know maybe we'll talk to you a little bit farther down the sobriety road and we'll do like an update episode to see where where it's taken you so yeah i think that would be good uh because as i navigate this stuff um i'm gonna figure out new strategies and hopefully i can relay them because diners ipad that alone just fucking spend about 300 bucks spend 50 bucks at a diner instead of at a bar like that's already you've already eliminated a lot of windows of opportunity if you're a comic touring and trying to avoid this alcohol shit yeah absolutely and the thing that by the way i do want to reiterate if you are a comic especially early on in any kind of a recovery journey please 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 tell the bartender when you get to the show to not serve you because that actually is important because if you tell the bartender that you're working on your recovery and to not send drinks to you on stage or to not serve you or both, whatever the case may be, I promise you that does help because I understand the bartenders make money off people buying drinks, but I also can tell you just based off of my own experiences in one of the biggest drinking and drug using cities in the entire country that they will listen to you when you tell them that you're working on your recovery or that you're working on sobriety and to not serve you, they will listen to you. And especially if it's a comedy venue, like 99% of the time, the booker or the producer or the club, you know, owner or whatever will 100% be on your side and they'll tell the bartender for you. So like, just don't be afraid to put that out there. They, uh, it's, it is important because it does help set a thing in your own muscle memory too, of like, when I get to a bar for a show, like one of the first things, tell the bartender, just get it out of the way. So. Yeah. And use recovery, use that word, you know, like, don't be like, ah, I'm not drinking. Like, don't allow people to then peer pressure you through. Cause if you say those type of words, recovery, blah, 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 people respect use, yeah, use the language, use the language that it, it should be, you know, recovery, sobriety, like it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sober. Like say those things, allow it to come out of your face and not feel foreign. <laughs> That's really what it is. Right. You know, I feel like honestly, the first couple of times I said I was sober or I said I was in recovery, it kind of felt like it tasted weird coming out of my mouth. You know what I yeah. mean? same here like ugh, like what was that like and then after a week or so of saying it every night it was like okay this feels okay this is all right right yep 
Absolutely. So yeah, again, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode with, uh, with another guest. Um, and uh, again, if you have any questions, if you have any problems, or if you just need an ear to talk to, uh, feel free to hit me up. Please come back and listen. Uh, we love having you. And uh, hopefully what we talked about today helped even one of you. So again, this has been the Traumedy Hour. Uh, my name is Jonas Barnes. Uh, this is Cody Woods. Uh, you guys have been fantastic. Have a wonderful night.